Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 30th, 2023, including Embracer Group is beginning to crumble. Call of Duty 2024 details are beginning to leak. We have a clear idea of what the Fallout TV show looks like. Let's address this so-called Xbox tax and more. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2004, 19 years ago, Prince of Persia, The Warrior Within was released for the original Xbox in the US. Prince of Persia, Warrior Within. I, um, I only played the, actually the first two Prince of Persia games of this era, not not like the old Prince of Persia, but like the Xbox era P, um, PS2 Prince of Persia. So uh, what was it? Sands of Time? What the hell was the other one called? That's The second one's the one I liked the most. No, Two Thrones was the third one, so clearly I didn't like these games at all. I don't know. I haven't played Prince of Persia since I was, like, maybe 11 years old. I don't know. So Warrior Within was the sequel, and then, yeah, because the last one came out, like, 06 or something, like, shortly before Assassin's Creed came out and then just basically rendered Prince of Persia uh, obsolete. That was, what, so that was Two Thrones, that was 05. So they came out back-to-back. Okay, I got it here. Oh, yeah. Damn, those games came out one year after another. They were must have been developed like in conjunction or something to have done that. Oh, all those games came out back to back to back. Oh my god, I never realized this. I would have assumed these games all had two year dev cycles. So Sands of Time comes out in 03, and then Warrior Within's in 04, and The Two Thrones is in 05. That is absolutely mind numbing. How that? Can you imagine that? If if my god, dude, if they were making Prince of Persia games today, it'd be like, oh, you like that Prince of Persia game? Well. Get ready for an epic sequel that will be out in seven years, and it will have an open world and a skill tree and, like, 47 quest lines that you'll never see, and uh, everyone will give it a 7 out of 10 to say that it's uh, it's derivative. Wow, that's insane. I, I miss when games... I mean, I understand even if you do make more linear experiences like these old Prince of Persia games were... I mean, obviously, games just are a lot more intensive art assets and the kinds of various systems that are in games things are just more technical and in ways that i don't understand my feeble tiny incompetent brain couldn't comprehend how it's just so difficult to make a game in today's world i believe it i don't understand all the ins and outs and why it is that the way it is but i believe it trust me i believe it there's so many broken games that come out i just believe it but man prince of persia warrior within i actually don't think i beat a single one of these i remember playing all of them these were i feel like prince of persia was like the textbook definition of like blockbuster like not blockbuster like oh it's a summer blockbuster you know movie but like like go to blockbuster and rent this game kind of game where it's like I, I played these games, you'd rent it, you'd play it for a weekend, you'd get halfway through it, you'd return it, you go back to Pokemon or whatever. I feel like that's kind of my relationship with Prince of Persia. And then 
by the time I was old enough to really be like, man, I hope they make another Prince of Persia game. It was like Assassin's Creed seven. This guy goes into a coma and now it's the Middle East. And, and then everyone liked that for a while. And now um, I don't know where we are with Assassin's Creed. I still I still haven't played those games, so I don't know. But welcome to Xbox on a podcast where this man sits here and goes on and on about how he just doesn't know about some of Ubisoft's most prolific games. Um, but hey, Ubisoft doesn't know either. They don't they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They got Beyond Good and Evil 2. I hope my grandkids are able to play it by the time I'm dead because God knows I'm not playing that game. Uh, it's never coming. It's just it's not it's not happening. But what is happening is this week's episode of the Xbox on podcast. Welcome back. I'm a little rusty. I'll be completely honest. It's been a while. I haven't been able to record the show in a minute. Last week's episode was a Thanksgiving special that I had to record in advance. Thank you to Cronky for joining me for that. And thank you for all who listened. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. Hope you enjoyed the little interstitial kind of uh, special episode we did last week with a fun little uh, exercise. But yeah, I, I haven't recorded in over a week with this podcast because I've been moving. I, I, I'm no longer in the apartment. This is the very first time in the history of the podcast that I am recording in a new location. I'm still in my boxers. I'm still all alone in front of my computer with a microphone surrounded by nothing but cats and, uh, and, and video game memorabilia and things like that. But the difference is now I'm not in my tiny little 800 square foot apartment, but I am in my very own home. I've successfully moved. I live in a house now. So yes, thank you, God. Very big blessing. Glad to be here. Glad to be out of the apartment. Uh, excited to get back into the rhythm and get back into the podcast with you guys. Hopefully having my own office space now, my own like a little, I'm not going to call it man cave. I hate that term. Everyone's like, oh, you got a man cave? No. Why the fuck would my cave be upstairs? That makes no fucking sense. You know nothing about caves. No, this is not a man cave. It is an office. It is an office room. There's a desk. There's electricity. This is a this is an office, okay? The computer has office installed on it. Clearly, it's an office. So this is my office room, which means I'm allowed to put up posters of half-naked anime girls and to make YouTube videos that go, what is up, guys? And I'm able to do the green screen and do Twitch streams and ask the chat to give me gems or jewels or whatever the fucking bits, bits, give me bits. And I'm able to do all these things again because now I have my own little space to do that. And I'm super excited. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit because um, this this new this new uh, position affords me the ability to go back into streaming, which I'm excited to talk about in a little bit. But we'll get to that. Let's talk about some video game related stuff. Let's take care of some housekeeping, starting with notable games releasing this week. Games that are coming out to Xbox that you might you might be saying to yourself, Jesse, it's been such a crazy jam packed year. I, I couldn't possibly take another game. It's like not only is your tummy full from all the Thanksgiving food, but your but your your thumbs are sore. Your brain just can't take it. Your eyes are, are, are dry. You can't even handle staring at playing with engaging with another video game because there's just so many video games this year to play. But stop. You can't you can't just go crying home to your mama quite yet because we still got even more games happening right now. Like this week, for example, on November 28th, which was yesterday as of the time I'm recording this, Dune Spice Wars came to Xbox Series. S and X as well as PC or it's been on PC but now it's on Xbox Series S and X and it is a Game Pass game it's on Game Pass PC and Game Pass console so you can go ahead and play that if you like RTS games if you're a fan of the Dune IP this is a great opportunity for you to play another new video game this year so you can go ahead and play Dune Spice Wars but if you're like well Jesse Dune Spice Wars sounds a lot it sounds like a lot of fun I'm not gonna lie but I wish I could do it in my rollerblades with guns then well don't worry we got the perfect game for you because 
Roller Drome, this game that came out last year that looked so fucking good, but it was only on, I think, PC and PlayStation. I don't know if it's on Switch. Don't don't quote me on that. It's finally coming to Xbox. It's, it's in fact, on Xbox now. So, unfortunately, not in Game Pass, but it, it looks like it's worth every penny, and I, and I can't wait to play this game, although I'm probably not going to play it for a little bit because i got to get through some other... My backlog is big, okay? But Roller Drome is out. It's your freaking Tony Hawk with guns meets Jet Grind Radio meets Sunset Overdrive meets um, all that stuff. It's the game where you're on rollerblades and you got guns. And all you need to know is if you don't like the sound of that combination of, of mechanics, you have a small pebble-like brain and you should go to a doctor and have them look at that because uh, that's concerning me. So, Roller Drome, Doom Spice Wars, new games coming out. I think, when does Avatar come out? That's next week, right? Avatar? It doesn't stop, guys. This year's just crazy. Speaking of Ubisoft, uh, that being Avatar and not what we're about to talk about because we're moving away from Ubisoft and we're moving on to our mildly amusing stories update. So, I want to start this week, let's, let's do a little something about the Game Awards and then get into what I think are some fun conversations. I want to talk about this, this Xbox tax conversation that's been going around. Uh, it's a nice way to draw attention to your your YouTube channel or, or blog or podcast or whatever you have, and uh, as well as some other opening stories, talking about some Killer Instinct, and uh, like I said, the Game Awards. So let's start with the Game Awards stuff. Mildly amusing stories, Game Awards, here we go. From VGC, Microsoft is teasing plans for some major Xbox annou- announcements at, its December, uh, at the December Game Awards, and promotional, uh, sorry, In promotional material distributed this week, the company said that important announcements are planned for the event along with other exciting Xbox news. It wrote, quote, celebrate the best games of the year and big winners live at the Game Awards on December 7th at 1930 Eastern Time. What the fuck kind of European? Who wrote this? 1930 o'clock. Uh, okay, let me do American time. That means it's 730. Uh, anyway, along with uh, along with important announcements and other Xbox news that you will not want to miss. Wow, that just rolled together when I when I stopped in the middle to complain about Europe. So anyway, it, it, it's safe to assume that Microsoft's going to have like a big thing to talk about or not. I mean, after all, they revealed the Xbox Series X at the Game Awards in 2019. They revealed Hellblade 2. They revealed, they, they showed off for the first time, or, you know, the teaser trailer, the concept trailer, the cinematic trailer for um, Perfect Dark Reboot at the Game Awards. So they, they've done, the Game Awards has been a place for Xbox to be like, yeah, we're doing shit. So it, it stands to reason that this could be an opportunity for us to get a look at Fable, a release date for Hellblade, uh, maybe um, maybe a gameplay reveal for Perfect Dark. I don't know. Like we could, this could be an event with uh, some Xbox news really worth uh, tuning into. Although even without the Xbox news, it's still an exciting event because the Game Awards is always fun, uh, full of lots of fun uh, announcements and trailers and uh, hijinks uh, to dwell upon. So obviously we're all excited for that. But with that news of Xbox having a big presence at the Game Awards, the Game Awards being so close, we have to talk about how this is going to affect the schedule for next week's podcast real quick. So I just want to touch on this and then we'll continue with news related items. So you know that obviously the podcast goes live each and every Thursday. That's always been the case. Unfortunately, the Game Awards is taking place next Thursday. So it's it's pretty safe to assume that, you know, barring any big leak, which knowing Xbox, it could happen. Uh, but barring like any big leak, it's it's pretty unlikely that between now and next Wednesday through next Wednesday, there's going to be any like big standout Xbox related news. 
Um, so we would have a pretty slim, uh, pretty slim pickings for the podcast topics next week if we were to just do the normal Wednesday night recording, Thursday night the podcast goes live. Also, and more importantly, uh, because you know I can waste two hours of your time talking about whatever the fuck I please, the more important thing is it would just be stupid to release next week's episode on Thursday morning, and then later on that same very day, the, the Game Awards happens where all the actual you know, interesting news of, of the month of December is going to be revealed in one night. So it just makes sense to delay the podcast. So um, I actually looked back at, at, at what we did last year, and this is actually the exact same uh, track we had to do. So, so this year we're repeating history. So what's going to happen is instead of Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time, a new episode of the podcast launching, you're going to get drum roll, please. Absolutely nothing on Thursday morning. Nothing is going to hit uh, the, 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 the podcast services and YouTube. There will be no new episode, but rather what we'll do is Thursday night when the game awards takes place and, and we'll start around seven, seven thirty. I will be on my Twitch channel streaming the game awards because you know, Who's ever thought, what a, what a novel idea. I'll, I'll watch the Game Awards, and you watch me watching the Game Awards, and maybe I'll go, huh, oh, wow, didn't see that coming. Whoa, that game looks dope, and we'll just do like that kind of thing, uh, and it'll be fun, it'll be awesome, there'll be popcorn involved, and so we'll do that Thursday night. And then on Friday, I will record the podcast, and then on Saturday, it will go live. Yes, I would stay up all night Thursday and record the podcast and have it out to you on Friday, but I have a day job, and I have to wake up at 5 in the morning, so I just logistically, it doesn't, it doesn't work with my schedule, okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll get it out to you Friday if I could, but I can't. So to recap, Thursday, no podcast, but Thursday night, we will be streaming the Game Awards. Twitch.tv slash Lightning McStream. So 7 o'clock, or no, probably 7, right before 7.30, probably like 7.20, 7.30. We'll be streaming the Game Awards Friday, Saturday morning, new episode of the podcast. Okay? Podcast on Saturday morning, live stream on Thursday night, Twitch.tv slash Lightning McStream, Xbox on podcast, uh, Phil Spencer, hopefully no one jumps up on stage and grabs the mic from Jeff Keighley and says something about, uh, what was it? What, what do you say? My, my rabbi, Bill Clinton? orthodox rabbi bill clinton um we'll see we'll have to wait and see so that's the plan i'm sorry for the delay um it's just jeff Keighley is such an inconsiderate guy you know he just he always does the the game awards the night that the, the day that the podcast is supposed to go live so if he was just a little more considerate maybe did it on a tuesday we wouldn't be facing this problem but here we are we're just we're just making the best of the situation all right let's get back into the news this is a little i don't know everyone's in a blue moon we do something like this you guys know I don't generally like too much to engage in like the the stupidity discourse. Like I, I don't know. I try to keep this podcast to be focused on actual Xbox news. And then when we're off topic and talking about nonsense, it's like the nonsense that we want to talk about. Like someone wrote in about Taco Bell or I'm excited to go on about like a Royal Caribbean cruise or Disney World or some nonsensical shit like that, right? But there's a, a conversation happening in the Xbox fan slash influencer space that's it's it's been going and twirling and whirling around that I feel like we need to talk about in part because it's a slow news week in part because I feel like I kind of talked about it on the last episode in a way that didn't really fully address the situation and also in part because I'm just in the mood and it sounds like fun so fuck you buckle up and let's do this shit I'm gonna go to Forbes.com author name Paul Tassie I think it's Tassie it's not Tassie it's Tassie right didn't, he used to work for Kotaku, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Pretty, pretty like well-respected person in the video games media space. I, I, I hesitate to call anyone a, a video games journalist because the term itself makes me want to raffle copter all over my carpet, all over my brand new carpet that hasn't hasn't even gotten pee stained yet by me. Um, but anyway, Paul Tassi, Forbes.com, 
writes this article, says, the Xbox tax isn't real and it can't hurt you. So I read this because I'm seeing a lot of Twitter comments. I'm seeing a lot of YouTube videos. I'm seeing a lot of Xbox fan people talk about the Xbox tax. You know, the notion that when Xbox does something, it gets docked a couple points because people don't like Xbox, namely games journalists, games media people, games influencers, YouTubers, people in the popular seats of the gaming with the narrative control don't like Xbox. And when PlayStation does something, it gets a couple bonus points, a little bit of extra forgiveness because PlayStation's cool. It's cool like PlayStation and they're the favorite child. Personally, I think the only company that really, truly, honestly gets that is Nintendo, and there's no fucking denying that. You can't tell me for one goddamn second that Zelda Breath of the Wild isn't just a, maybe just a little bit over overrated. I can't speak to the new Zelda game because I didn't play that one, but I played Breath of the Wild for 50 hours, and I can tell you with full confidence, it's a great game. It's a really good game. It's a little overrated. Let's be honest. It's a little overrated. A lot of, a lot of Nintendo games are. But I get the Nintendo thing. That's a nostalgia thing. That's a separate conversation. We don't have to get into that. I do love you, Nintendo. Shout out to Mario Galaxy, greatest game ever made. But we're talking about this idea of an Xbox tax, and sometimes I get where a lot of Xbox fans are coming for, from, where where you could want to feel this way, because this idea of like, and I think this was mainly sparked in a big way in recent history, because the, the stunning lack of Xbox representation at the Game Awards in terms of like uh, award nominees, so namely, you know, Starfield being absent from the Game of the Year nominee. Um, meanwhile, Resident Evil 4 remake, which is like the fifth remake or port of Resident Evil 4, um, is nominated for Game of the Year, which is baffling. But there's a there's a lot of context to this conversation. And I, and I want to just start by saying I do not believe that the Xbox tax is a real thing in the most like face value sense i don't think that there are guys who work at ign who get paid to do video game podcasts and news and op-eds and things like that and who have large followings on twitter who go "Mm, i hate xbox and i really like playstation so if they make another god of war i'm gonna make it a 9.4 out of 10 even if i think it's only an 8.8 and if they make a a new halo game i'm gonna give it I'm going to give it a 7.1, even though it's kind of an 8.4. Like, I don't think that's happening. I think that's like some fucking tinfoil hat, real stupid, like get a real life Paul kind of joke. But I I do think there does seem to be a little bit of an expectation that like, oh, it's Xbox. It can only be so good. Or uh, maybe it's just that people don't get as hyped about the things Xbox does as much as uh, they do with maybe PlayStation. And there's a lot of reasons for this. First of all, PlayStation is just bigger than Xbox. So PlayStation is going to, and this is something Paul Tassi talks about in his article, I think in his little op-ed here. And I think it's actually really important context that I don't address enough that that does need to be taken into consideration. Why does PlayStation get more coverage? Because more people play PlayStation. Why, why do people click on videos and articles about PlayStation games more? Because more people own PlayStation and play PlayStation games. And we can say this is a chicken and egg thing. Well, it's like, well, isn't PlayStation bigger because people favor uh, PlayStation and media coverage? No, because the games industry is not that act- actually important. It's an echo chamber and it's a little circle jerk of, 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 of neck beards who, who want to feel important. The fact of the matter is all of us who obsess about video games enough to do podcasts or listen to podcasts are in the vast minority of people playing games. Most people just play the games that they want to play because they look like fun and they want to enjoy their pathetic lives for a brief moment in time before they got to go back to their day job. Uh, anyway, getting off track again. I think the fact, so that's important to keep in mind. PlayStation is bigger and is covered more and is 
highlighted more because there are more PlayStations out there. There are more people playing PlayStation. There's more people consuming PlayStation media. There's more people anticipating the next PlayStation game. And in addition to that, I think part of the reason why people are have this little air of like, oh, what's PlayStation doing? Is um, and and I'm getting to a point that I'm getting I'm. I'm excited to bring this point up because I feel like there's a way this kind of like brings us to where we are today. Let me just speed up. In the Xbox 360 years, I'm making this so much harder than it needs to be, but trust me, it's 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 I'm proud of where I got to on this. In the Xbox 360 years, Xbox was kick-ass. Everyone loved Xbox. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And yes, a large part of it has to do with PlayStation fumbling the message with the PS3. PlayStation 3 came out a year after Xbox 360, so the 360 got a head start on sales. And then... Another thing that's really important is the Xbox 360 kind of fucking delivered with great games. Halo, Gears of War. You got to remember, Mass Effect, Bioshock. These were Xbox games for a long time. Like these weren't these weren't games that people associate as PlayStation games and for a, for a set amount of time were only on platforms like Xbox. So it was a generation where Xbox was kind of on fire and Xbox uh, or Xbox Live was was really like was really catching on with with a, a growing uh, player base uh, of like of gamers who want to be online, who want to interact with their friends and connect and do online multiplayer. And the kinds of experiences that Xbox 360 offered were just so in line with the sensibilities of gamers at the time. And again, you could say it's a chicken and egg thing where it's like, well, the sensibilities were the way they were in the mid 2000s because Xbox 360 defined those games. Um, for example... Why did people want to play Modern Warfare, Halo 3, Gears of War 2 online all the damn time? Because those games were novel at the time and they were super fun and they got people hooked and people wanted to be online and experience these groundbreaking experiences. The thing is, when you get to the Xbox One generation, and I say this as probably the, the biggest Xbox One fan you'll ever meet. I, I love the Xbox One. I acknowledge its shortcomings and I acknowledge why it was in a lot of ways a letdown or a failure to, in, in, you know, depending on what context you're talking about it. But I love the Xbox One. So understand where I'm coming from when I say this. But when you look at the Xbox One generation, I think a lot of people not only start to get sour on Xbox because of Xbox fumbling the message out the gate and the $500 price tag and the we have a console for people who don't want to play online. It's called the Xbox 360. Aside from that stuff, I think people sour on the Xbox One generation a little bit because the Xbox One kind of came out the gate with, in terms of its games with this mentality of like, yeah, we fucking crushed in the 360 and we'll do it again with the, with the Xbox One. Here's Halo 5. Here's Gears of War 4. Here's, you know, another new Remedy game. Here's another. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. And again, I say this as someone who loves Halo 5 to hell and back, thinks Gears 5 is the best Gears of War game ever made, uh, who thinks Quantum Break is the best Remedy game ever made. Like, I love the Xbox One generation. But I think a lot of people were like, mm, that's old hat. We've seen that before with those games. And you look at what PlayStation was doing, and this is really something that started like mid to late PS3, but it really was defined by the PS4, which is like cinematic experiences, games that feel so immersive. It's like taking what's great about games and what's great about movies and merging them beautifully into one. And people are like, whoa, because Spider-Man 2018 and God of War 2018 and The Last of Us Part Two and, and Uncharted 4 and all these games that were just like, wow. And in a large sense, it's like the Xbox One PS4 generation was defined by these new immersive single-player narrative-driven games. 
and the simplistic Call of Duty shoot, 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 Halo, shoot, shoot, shoot kind of online experiences that were so popular in the Xbox 360 generation got usurped by more of these games as a service type experiences like Destiny and Fortnite and shit like that, which, you know, shout out to Sea of Thieves, Xbox didn't really get in on that until later in the generation and never really came to the table with a game that caught on to the extent of like a Fortnite or a destiny or something like that. So throughout the whole Xbox one generation, Xbox just didn't really have the, the thing that people were looking for. They had what I was looking for. I was eating like a fucking King dude. I love sunset overdrive. I love halo five. I thought the Xbox one was so badass. I think Titanfall one, man, you didn't play Titanfall one around the time. I know everyone loves Titanfall two. I love Titanfall two also, but man, that, that moment in time, those early Xbox one days when Titanfall one came out, Oh boy. You fucking missed out if you weren't there. It was such a great time. I love those years. I love those games. But Xbox was kind of just trying to do more of the same. And they didn't keep breaking new ground. They didn't keep amusing the player with with, with what's next. And I think to some extent, that's kind of the problem with where Xbox is today. And yes, maybe it's going to change. They own all these new studios. They acquired Activision and Bethesda and blah, 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 blah. But it's like... This explains Starfield to a large extent because even though we all sat back for years going, Microsoft that owns Bethesda now, they got Starfield. It's a console exclusive. Of course, they're going to fucking kill with Starfield. When Starfield came out, it was like Bethesda doing the Xbox One thing in a way because, again, this is coming from the perspective of someone who loves Starfield. Starfield's neck and neck with Alan Wake 2, my favorite game of the year. I freaking love Starfield. But I can't lie to you and deny the fact that it's like, well, yeah, Starfield doesn't push the boundaries forward in the way that Skyrim did in 2011. And so when you look at people who are like complaining about Starfield, not because it's a bad game, but because they're like, yeah, it's just like, it's like small bite-sized compartmentalized Skyrim in outer space. It's cool, but like, it's not groundbreaking. And so when you see that, it's like, oh, well, Xbox is still not pushing new ground. They're still not doing that thing they did in the Xbox 360 years. Meanwhile, PlayStation, you could argue PlayStation's kind of in an interesting spot because they don't really have many games announced and they don't really have much of a roadmap shown to the public. They haven't really played their cards yet. And, you know, the word is they're just working on a bunch of live service type games. So it's possible PlayStation's about to fumble a little bit with their offerings. But the point being, Xbox 360 excelled because it innovative. It, it was innovative and it showed gamers like this is the future gaming. And then PlayStation 4 took the mantle and was like, now this is the future of video games. And like, this is what video games can be. And I think so far, the Xbox hasn't been able to come back and be like, no, this is what video games are going to be. Because they're still making, for all intents and purposes, modern iterations of the same great games we were playing back in the 360. Yeah, Halo Infinite is open world, kind of, and games as a service adjacent. And it has a battle pass like modern games have. But Halo Infinite isn't pushing boundaries of first-person shooters and redefining the genre in the way that, like, Halo 3 did. And Starfield, despite being my personal favorite Bethesda Game Studios game ever made, is not blowing people's minds with new crazy ideas the way that, like, Fallout 3 and Skyrim did in 2008 and 2011, respectively, you know? And so I think that's a large part of it. So it's not that, like, the critics hate Xbox. It's that the critics have yet to be 
wowed by Xbox. It's been a while since they've really been wowed by Xbox. And I think that's why it's like, what do, what do people look for as like the, the most recent example of like a really great Xbox first party game. And it always comes back to like Hi-Fi Rush because even though Hi-Fi Rush isn't this big, super triple quadruple A next gen boundary pushing game, it is a breath of fresh air. It is surprising. It is new. It is fresh. It's creative. It's unexpected. And I think people just like that. You know, people want to go to a restaurant and get something other than the chicken or the steak. They want to have a new creation. They want to be wowed by something they've never seen before. And if Xbox can take that spirit, I think they can kind of reclaim or build out a place for them to be like, hey, look at us. We're doing something great. And is there potential for Perfect Dark or Hellblade 2 or Fable to be that game? Yes. But it's not a guarantee. And I think that's kind of the inherent misstep of doing something like going back to Perfect Dark with the initiative's first game. Because it's like, why are we retreading old ground? Even if we're going to do it in a new way, it's like, why are we doing that? It's like PlayStation has the respect and prominence they have today because of what they did going forward. Although I guess you could argue God of War 2018 kind of did the same thing, but like showed that God of War can be mature and groundbreaking and genre defining in, in a way. So uh, it's not to say a game like Perfect Dark can't do it, not to get too in the weeds about that. It's just to say that I think a lot of media and gamers in general just feel like Xbox hasn't really pulled out the big guns in in a, in a in a substantial way in a very long time. And they they've made big moves in every other way that matters. Xbox Series X, it's an incredible console. Xbox Series S, it's an incredible value. Game Pass, it's undeniably the best service you can possibly put your money into in all of gaming. It's such a, an amazing value, right? Um, they acquired Activision, they acquired Bethesda. These are show-stopping, mind-blowing uh, deals, news stories, headlines in, in, in games media. But what about the game that like kind of makes everyone stop and go, oh, wow, Xbox is doing that now? Again, to me, you know, I love Gears 5. I love Starfield. I even really like Halo Infinite, despite a couple of concerns I have about the game and issues I take with the game. The problem is, most people aren't like me. They're not looking to be spoon-fed their next fucking 3D Sonic adventure. You know, they're 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 looking for something fresh and new. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that fatigue um for from like the types of games that PlayStation was so well known for last generation. And so I don't think the answer is like, well, Xbox needs their God of War. Well, Xbox needs their Horizon Zero Dawn or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. It's like we just need new and fresh ideas. We need things to stop being so stagnant. And I, I really do feel like Xbox is positioned to do that. You know, they have a lot of really great studios that they've acquired and then invested substantially in, which, you know, I mean, give Double Fine or um, or an Exile, a, a, you know, or Obsidian a, a massive AAA budget in five to seven years and let them go freaking wild. It's like, yeah, those are the kinds of teams I would expect would will create something incredible and, and groundbreaking. But at the same time, it's like, we just haven't gotten that game yet. And we want and a lot of people feel like Starfield wasn't that game. And I think it's understandable and respectable to, you know, you can be like me and, and, and love Starfield while also acknowledging why it is kind of a disappointment to certain groups of people for specific reasons. You know, I can say that Starfield is my favorite game of the year while, while also acknowledging and understanding and respecting that, you know, John Smith down the road didn't like it because he was like, I don't know, man. It just it just felt like Skyrim, but the exploration was neutered because I couldn't just walk everywhere. I had to travel 
from fast travel point to fast travel point. It's like, okay, that's, I, I didn't have that same experience, but that's fair. I get it. And um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to like touch up on some things. I understand where people are coming from with their, with their disappointment in Xbox. And I understand where, why some Xbox fans feel like there is this Xbox tax because it's like two sides speaking past each other, but not understanding exactly what's going on. I feel like Xbox is, it is a roller coaster that is at the top of a hill perpetually. That's what Xbox feels like. Nothing but potential energy. They're at the fucking peak of a 350 foot drop. And they're just there at the top. And all of us Xbox fans are in line, in the queue, looking at this fucking roller coaster, staring at the top, going, oh my fucking God, would you look at that monstrosity? That's a beautiful piece of art. I can't wait to watch that thing go down the hill. But we've been staring at this roller coaster that's been at the top of this hill for like five years, eight years, something like that. And we're just waiting for this fucking train car, this roller coaster train car to go down the hill. And it hasn't done it. Converting that potential energy into kinetic, bombastic excitement, you know, and just ha- it hasn't happened yet. Meanwhile, PlayStation, I, honestly, I feel like PlayStation is a is a roller coaster that's been going down the hill for a while and is now about to expend all of its energy and have to reinvent itself. The problem is, and as Phil Spencer pointed out in his uh, interview earlier this year with Kind of Funny uh, on the Kind of Funny X cast, is that they lost the most important generation. So even though right now, like I would argue 2023, say what you will about Starfield, Xbox had a way better 2023 than PlayStation. What did PlayStation put out this year? Spider-Man? And that's like it. I think there's like one other game I'm missing. Uh, Gran Turismo was last year, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm sure they had another game that's escaping my mind, but for as good as I, I'm sure Spider-Man two is PlayStation did not have a great showing this year. They were kind of absent. They didn't have an event. They didn't talk about any new games. We don't know what the fuck's coming from PlayStation in the next couple of years. Spider-Man came out. That's great. What else you got? You know, over on team Xbox, we got a a great showcase this summer. We know a lot of great games that we're all looking forward to. Xbox had Hi-Fi Rush. They had a couple of games come to Xbox that were stuck on PlayStation exclusively, like Ghostwire Tokyo and stuff like that. We got Starfield. We got new Forza. We got it's a, it's a good year for Xbox. Lots of good games came out this year, and you know, obviously, a lot of people are disappointed with Redfall, but we don't have to talk about that. That's a different story for a different day. But even with all that said, even with all that said, it's just we're waiting for Xbox to have that uncharted last of us god of war moment not where they make a game that's like those games but where they make a game that you know i should say we're waiting for xbox to have a a last of us or an uncharted or a halo 3 or a bioshock or a far cry 3 or a mass effect kind of moment we're waiting for them to just or you know or a freaking a witcher moment uh, a Baldur's gate 3 moment a skyrim moment a, a moment where they create a game that makes everyone stop and pay attention and get hyped about what they're doing. And Halo Infinite looked like it was almost that. And Skyrim looked like it did a little bit of that. It's like a fucking firework that, like, like the fuse goes all the way down. You're like, oh, my God, here fucking comes. And then it doesn't, you know, it's a dud. It doesn't explode. That's kind of what, like, Halo Infinite and Starfield felt like in a way. It's like, yeah, they made money. They got attention. People played them. They reviewed well enough, I guess. But it's like they didn't. They didn't do the thing, you know. When you look at when you look at games that came out in recent years that have done the thing, it's like God of War Ragnarok, Elden Ring, Baldur's Gate Three, you know, like these Hogwarts Legacy even. Like these are the games that have recently done done the thing. The, the, the firework exploded. The roller coaster went down. The three hundred fifty foot drop. And we're just waiting for Xbox to have their moment. It hasn't happened yet. And um, 
if you're if you're like me and you, you know you've been over here enjoying the Xbox One and so far enjoying the Xbox Series X and S, for as much fun as we're having, we're still looking at the whole situation from afar as the outsiders looking in, looking at the industry, looking at the games coming out, and the media coverage, going, yeah, but where? Oh, come on, Xbox, where's your moment to shine? So I think that is the impetus for the Xbox tax. It's not that Xbox isn't doing great. It's not like they're not making money. It's not like they're not putting out good games and announcing cool games and they have a killer console and all these things. It's that PlayStation 1, these really important generations. Everyone built their digital identity and profile and library on the PS4 and stuck with it into the PS5. And that it's like a snowball, you know, rolling down a hill, gaining traction, getting bigger. It's just, you know, I, anecdotally, I know people who were on Xbox One who switched to PS5 this generation. Despite the fact that, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Xbox Series X is way better than than that, what the Xbox One was. And and it's only, you know, it's the best time to be on Xbox because of Game Pass and because of these excellent consoles and the affordable entry level with the Series S and all that. But still, people are like, yeah, I'll spend 500 bucks and buy a PlayStation 5 that doesn't have a subscription service that lets me access hundreds of games for 15 bucks a month because it's the popular thing to do. It's the, like, it, it, and the problem is Xbox was down and out when they couldn't afford to be down and out. And on top of that, they just had, they've, they've had good hits, but they haven't had knockouts. And so until Xbox has that knockout moment and it has to be done with games, it can't be done with just hardware or just goodwill or messaging or a likable guy at the top, like Phil Spencer or something like that. It has to be done. You gotta let the games do the talking and the games have, have done a lot, but they haven't. They haven't done, you know, what what Elden Ring has done. They haven't done what God of War has done. They haven't done what what Baldur's Gate has done. So, that is my two cents on the Xbox tax. I, I think it's a lot of, in, it's me indirectly saying, I think Xbox is great. I think Xbox sometimes does get a little bit of a bad rep, and of course, you know the 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 fucking peanut gallery that is the console fanboys. Um, bitching and moaning about everything. I think that doesn't help, of course. But yeah, I mean, Xbox is going to continue to be in the shadows of PlayStation so long as PlayStation's selling way more units than Xbox. PlayStation's getting a lot of games that Xbox isn't getting. Um, people keep buying PlayStations, buying PlayStation games, and clicking on coverage for PlayStation-related news and, and entertainment. And the more and more that keeps happening, the more and more the media is going to focus their attention on the popular thing. And if Xbox can brute force their way in with a couple of games that make people give a shit about Xbox in a big way again, then yeah, Xbox sales will tick up and, and, and engagement. And it's not to say like people aren't clicking on YouTube videos about Xbox and people aren't buying Xboxes. Of course those things are happening, but in comparison to the PlayStation, no, I mean, PlayStation five is like outselling the Xbox series consoles in Europe. I think like two to one is what uh, VGC wrote about the other week it's like that's that's insane that's absolute insanity the xbox series s and x are such good consoles and they're getting clobbered by playstation two to one i don't know it's 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 hard man you're telling the guy who spent thousands of dollars and thousands of hours and unlocked thousands of trophies from 2013 to 2020 on his ps4 to go buy an xbox series x because of game pass it's like you better have some really damn good games on game pass to make that guy want to do that because not everyone's like a lot of us and buys a playstation and a nintendo and an xbox and a gaming pc and an rog ally and a steam deck we're the we're the freaks that do that shit you know i'm, I'm over here with my my 75 android phones and my i i got a fucking tiny ass house with three xboxes in it i don't got kids 
It's just me and my girlfriend. I got three Xboxes in here. I, there are literally more Xboxes than people in my house. Unless my cat can start playing Xbox by herself, we're outnumbered by Xboxes by Xboxes in this in this fucking place. And so you got to keep in that, that context. Super important. We're the minority. We're the oddballs. Uh, Halo pun. And uh, you know, it's just in, until Xbox gets your coworker that doesn't give a shit about video games until Madden or Hogwarts legacy or call of duty comes around and until you get that guy to be like, Oh fuck Xbox got this. Oh, what's this new game? Oh, it's called, it's called swords and shields and it's popular. I don't know. It seems like lately the games that are popping off between like Elden ring and Baldur's gate and Skyrim and stuff. People just want these fucking and uh, witcher. People want fantasy Xbox. You got to do fantasy. I think your best bet at success here is going to be avowed and fable. These games got a pop, man. I swear to God, these nerds, these fucking nerds, these, these incapable and cellular nerds. They just, they got to have the swords and shields. They got to have the fairies and elves and they, if they can't cast women in, in, in under spells and put them into the kitchen, they, they simply don't want the game. Sci-fi doesn't sell anymore. No one likes Luke Skywalker. He's dead. Bring on the knights and elves. Thank you. That's my, all right, Paul Tassie. Balls in your court. Let's see what you got to say about that. All right. Now that everyone has um, early onset dementia because of my ramblings, let's uh, let's talk about Fallout a little bit. So earlier this week, um, Vanity Fair published uh, a little expose about the upcoming Fallout TV show that's going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, comes out next year on April 12th. That's when it debuts. And uh, they showed some like set photos, some like photos of the show. I guess, I guess they're not set photos; they're um, they're they're photos, like promotional photos of what the show looks like. And I really, I really want to like try and speak to this, but it's just I just don't have much to say. We see a guy and a girl, and they're in the vault, and it looks like they've nailed the aesthetic of Fallout. The guy's wearing his Pip Boy. Then we got a picture of all the um, all the power armor suit guys, soldiers. And it looks heavily CGI. It looks like it was pulled straight out of the video game. And then there's a, but then there's a, um, a screenshot of all these like army recruit looking guys staring at like a, staring at a blimp in the sky. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of, that's, that's cool. It's different. And I guess like my only thing is it's like aesthetically like, yeah, sure. They're doing it. They're doing fallout. And you know, the last of us TV show came out this year and was kind of a hit. And the halo TV show came out the year before that. And again, perfect case in point. It's like, that, that 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 thing sucked, dude. But anyway, go, going back to Fallout, uh, <laughs> I just had to make that comment because I really hate that Halo TV show. So it's like it can go any any number of ways. It seems like video game movies and TV shows have the the long standing like curse of oh, oh they're terrible. Anytime there's a video game movie or TV show, it's it's dog trash. It seems like that those days are behind us. We're we're past that. We're in a time and place where people accept that there are good video game adaptations in in tv and in, in film so i'm gonna try to be coptic coptically opti cautiously uh cautiously optimistic about this one because i want to get into the fallout universe i think the best thing about the fallout universe is its setting and its aesthetic and its tone and it's all all the things that make fallout i think so special i do think could be captured and translated into television i think television is a much better format for fallout than um than than film especially because what makes bethesda games so special is the kind of like small adventures you can have and go on and i feel like trying to have like a tight two two and a half hour movie with like a set plot is kind of uh 
is it would kind of like rush and, and brush past the, the the whole point of like Bethesda game studios type games. And so by having a TV show, you could have interstitials and side characters and expansive narratives and little side adventures and all sorts of locales and 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 ideas introduced and played with and i feel like that's the right format for fallout so i feel like fallout is one of those games that could translate well to tv it's just like i don't know are they gonna are they gonna halo it are they going to um are they going to the last of us it or something in between my guess is this will be something in between i I have a sneaking suspicion that this show will be solid not fantastic um definitely not bad but like pretty pretty okay pretty maybe even good that's kind of like my my read on how this show is going to play out i am excited for a a trailer now that they're kind of like wrapping up what i assume is like filming and everything of uh of the of the season or the show or whatever that um they'll be able to you know get us a trailer maybe no later than super bowl or something like that although i don't think you put a super bowl ad out for a tv show or i don't know how those things work these days uh, movies do terrible and tv shows do well so maybe maybe you do want to advertise a tv show at the super bowl who, who freaking knows at this point but um yeah fall tv show it, it's coming together it's happening april 12th it'll be here before you know it five months away we're gonna get a fallout tv show and uh until then I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic. You know, speaking of what's right, the TV show or the movie, Halo, Halo, uh, not Halo Infinite, Halo the TV show, for the love of God, that should have been a movie. Halo screams movie. Halo would be such a good movie. Because even though you could do a TV show with Halo, there's a lot of story to explore. I feel like making Halo a epic set piece action spectacle for two hours with a big old budget, badass. Making uh, Halo this slow, plotting, Master Chief's ass cheeks, who is this girl that no one asked for, kind of spinoff, weird alternate story, not not good show. No one wants that. Stop doing that. So, anyway. They got the Westworld guy, so people are people are excited about this show. It's going to do, it's going to get attention. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. It's going to make people flock to Xbox. So, the Fallout TV show. All right, let's talk about Killer Instinct first second because we got really cool news um where uh vgc relays that the 2013 reboot of killer instinct is getting a new anniversary edition and a free-to-play version during a live stream to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the xbox one launch game developer iron galaxy announced plans to split the title into two versions the killer instinct base game with a free-to-play console and pc uh Sorry, will be free to play on console and PC and feature one free weekly rotational fighter as well as a single player local and ranked uh, mode. Uh, the $30 Killer Instinct Anniversary Edition will include all 29 fighters and premium content. Currently available, Killer Instinct, the current available Defensive Edition, will be retired from digital storefronts and replaced with this new Anniversary Edition. And uh, all purchased Defensive Editions will be upgraded to this new Anniversary Edition for free. So fret not, if you already have the Anniversary Edition, you don't need to do anything. Uh, Killer Instinct Anniversary Edition won't include the Definitive Edition app, which features developer interviews, developer interviews and concept art, as well as standalone versions of Killer Instinct One and Two. However, owners of the Definitive Edition will still be able to access this content. So I guess that was with the old Definitive Edition, but not the or that's with the old Definitive Edition, but not the new Anniversary Edition. That's a little confusing. Um, so yeah, lost. You gotta you gotta buy the old Definitive Edition now if you want to get that content, but. Otherwise, I feel like this is a, a pretty cool approach to this where I think what they're really doing is 
gauging interest. They're trying to see like, again, like do people want killer instinct? Well, will people stream this? Will people play this? Should we invest in making another killer instinct game to which I feel like Xbox, whether it's killer instinct or something all new, I feel like Xbox really does need to hop in this space and try to stay there. Um, because this stuff is just too, this is, Xbox is so big on multiplayer and competitive stuff and streaming. And like, I just feel like you're so in this space in a big way when it comes to like shooters and things like that. Why would you want to see this ground of fighting games to honestly PlayStation and Capcom? Uh, because, because PlayStation now owns what's that uh, Evo, the fighting tournament and you know, Capcom's heavily associated with PlayStation or, or, or uh, when it comes to Street Fighter, I should say. And it's just like, why, why would you just cede all this ground to all these companies that aren't you and don't play well with you? It's like when you could just make your own game and compete on that front, even if it's not a big game or it's not the biggest game in that genre, at least you have your, you know, your your, your stake in, in that ring. You know, you have your you have your little your little bet there. And I feel like Killer Instinct has enough... And I'm still confused by this because I remember in the early Xbox One days, like people were hyped on Killer Instinct and they liked it. And it was apparently pretty, pretty good. It wasn't like the best fighting game ever, but it was pretty well received. But like, I don't know, man, like stick with it, get a proper developer who can dedicate themselves to this IP instead of just constantly outsourcing it. And um, I don't know, man, like that new, that new Mortal Kombat game doesn't seem to be like the biggest Mortal Kombat game ever. So like, there's probably some lapsed players and players you can grab the attention of right now and use that to your advantage, man. I think a free-to-play approach is really strong and uh, maybe maybe some bonus content for Game Pass players. Uh, and yeah, try to see if you can revive Killer Instinct. I love this. I love that they're not giving up on this and I think this is a really good way to honor this game that was kind of a, a platform uh, fighter game for a long time and then just kind of abandoned slowly at the midpoint of the Xbox One years. I think it's cool to kind of bring it back and Use it to recalibrate the market and see if there's if there's room for more. All right, we got two more before we get into games we've been playing, proper news, all that. So Xbox maybe I want to talk about this a little bit because I think this is good news, but I see a lot of negativity surrounding this. So let's get into it. From VGC, the Xbox Rewards app may be closing down, according to an alleged screenshot from Brazilian user. As shared by X, formerly Twitter, of course, the Xbox news reporter Idle Sloth. A Brazilian uh, says that a Brazilian player claims to have opened an Xbox Rewards app on their console and received a message explaining that the app will be shutting down. According to the alleged message, the app will be replaced by Rewards Hub, which will enable players to earn and redeem reward points without having to load into a separate app to do so. Quote, we've recreated, simplified, and integrated the rewards experience on Xbox, making it revolve around gameplay and activities with games uh, that gamers love the most, the alleged message reads. With the new rewards hub on Xbox, players will no longer have to separate apps to earn. Yeah, to separate apps to earn and redeem rewards on their Xbox. As uh, as of December 2023, we will no longer be publishing offers in the Microsoft Rewards app on Xbox, and will instead focus on the new activities in the rewards hub. This change is intended to simplify and streamline the rewards experience for players and to help them access all Xbox-related uh, offers and activities in one convenient place. Uh, the weekly series will continue to end until the end of November, after which they will be deactivated in the app. Rewards with Xbox will remain part of Microsoft Rewards program, and any points you earn in Xbox will continue to be associated with points from other parts of the program. So if this is real, if this is actually happening, um, I think we're going to probably hear about this imminently. Like by the time this podcast goes live, you might already know about it. But 
I, I follow the Xbox or the Microsoft Rewards subreddit because I love Microsoft Rewards and Xbox Rewards is an extension of Microsoft Rewards. Um, but there's a lot of meltdown. Microsoft has been tweaking with and playing with their rewards lately. They've been kind of nerfing a little bit the reward system. For those who don't know, uh, Microsoft Rewards is basically the system that it works across Microsoft Bing, Microsoft Edge, Xbox. Um, it's just kind of an incentive. Uh, Microsoft, what is it? Um, Start, the app, Microsoft Start. It's an incentive for you to interact with and use Xbox, not Xbox, but Microsoft services and programs. And basically what happens is you are logged into your Microsoft account. And anytime you search something on Bing or interact with a quiz of the day on Bing or search in Edge or uh, play a certain game in Xbox um, or read a certain news story in the Microsoft Start app, um, you earn points. You earn like little points, like five points here, 10 points here. And some of it's just by doing normal stuff like searching, interacting with, playing, whatever. And some of it is like they have little, little daily quizzes or daily um, uh, puzzles and things like that that you can interact with for fun. And people get really addicted to earning these points because once you get enough points, you can redeem them for Microsoft gift cards, Starbucks gift cards, Target gift cards. Um, you can use it to get cash to spend on Microsoft.com and buy surfaces and, and, and software and various things and people like people get legit money like you there's so many like the gift cards are far reaching like you can get gift cards to fucking best buy and domino's pizza and like everything like it's just it's kind of like all out there and people really game this shit to get essentially free game pass free xbox gift cards uh free gas gift cards and things like that and so it's there's a huge community of people who are like really into the microsoft rewards program and Xbox has always had this or has had this for a long time built in, but it's kind of annoying. Usually it's only when you're playing like certain Game Pass games or Microsoft like Xbox games, like first party games. For example, like you'll boot up Halo Infinite and while the game is booting up, it'll be like, boop, Xbox reward, hold down the home button to redeem. So like you hold down the Xbox button or the guide button on your cons on your controller and then it will pull you out of Halo Infinite, pull you into the rewards app on your Xbox and be like, redeeming 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 cool 10 points redeemed thanks for playing this game pass game it's like okay then you go back into halo infinite finishes loading up and you're at the start screen then you get another message it's like oh you've earned another microsoft reward for 10 points click here to redeem and it's like you go and redeem it it pulls you out of halo infinite again back into the app it's like oh this this reward is for playing two game pass games in one day it's like okay well, cool, you keep pulling me out of my fucking Halo game so I can redeem these rewards. And what it sounds like they're doing is they're integrating in such a way with a new hub experience where if you just do the thing, you'll automatically redeem and earn the rewards. So if there's a reward for play Halo Infinite today or um, play Halo Infinite during this event from this time period and they're two separate rewards and you boot up Halo Infinite and you unlock both rewards, rather than having to exit out of the app and go into the rewards app twice to do this, you'll be able to just unlock them in the background as you boot up Halo and stay in your game and don't get distracted and pulled away from what you're doing. This sounds like a quality of life improvement. I mean, this this reward stuff has been in kind of a beta phase for so long and has needed these updates so sorely that this sounds great. The problem is a lot of people are complaining because they're saying that the rewards and other aspects that have already been updated, like on Bing and on Microsoft Edge, have been nerfed and that you can't, like, get as many reward points or engage with as many like quizzes and skills and activities to earn rewards as frequently as you used to be able to. And that 
um, some of the amount of reward points that you'd get for certain activities has been reduced. And people are kind of up in arms saying that they're, they're kind of slowly killing the rewards program or they're nerfing it or they're trying to peel it back. And I guess the fear here is that they might be doing the same with Xbox and its rewards. And so I can understand if that's the case why people are nervous and upset, but nothing's really happened yet. So I don't really know that that's the case. And maybe I'm just bad at this, but like I've been using edge and Bing all week. Like I use every fucking week and I haven't noticed my Microsoft rewards going down. I mean, I'm big on these Microsoft rewards. I use, uh, I use the start app every day. I scan receipts from every purchase I make to get money back. I do the little polls. I get points for searching things and on being, um, I, I, I redeem my ones on Xbox all the time. And I feel like I'm still earning points left and right. Like literally the other week I got, another another $10 gift card on Xbox just for searching on Bing and using Edge all the time. So like, I don't don't really know what all the complaining is about, but people are pretty nervous that Microsoft is reworking and nerfing the fuck out of this feature and slowly killing the rewards program. But from what I can tell, this seems like they are doubling down on it and making it better and more convenient. So we will just have to see what's going on here. But if it is just what this alleged leak slash rumor um, suggests it is. It seems like the Microsoft rewards, especially how it pertains to Xbox, is actually only getting better. So I am looking forward to seeing more of that. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully this rewards hub is announced soon. I mean, if it's supposed to start in December, that's in like a day. So maybe, maybe that happens soon. I don't know. All right, last thing I want to talk about before we get into what I've been playing and the news and all that is just this little anecdotal story that um, the ESA published, the Entertainment Software Association, about this study that shows, and this is relayed from VGC, but the study that shows uh, at the top of kids' Christmas gift wish list this year, gaming subscription services are the most sought-after products. So according to a poll of 501 U.S. children ages 10 to 17, uh, which the ESA conducted, they found that 72% of respondents plan to ask for video game-related gifts for Christmas, ahead of money or gift cards, which is 72, which is 70%. So above all else, people are asking for video game related gifts. So that could be a PlayStation five. That could be a game pass subscription. That could be uh, worms, worms. The video game could be lemmings. They could be asking for Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory on the Nintendo DS. I don't fucking know what they're asking for, but um, number one response is video game related gifts. Number two is gift cards and money. Number three is clothing and accessories. Number four is electronics and tech items. Five is toys. Six is uh, tickets and experiences. Seven is arts and crafts. And nine is books. Just makes me proud to see that nine, that books even made the list, honestly. But anyway, of those hoping to receive video game-related gifts, 39% said that they plan to ask for subscriptions ahead of consoles. So it's barely. It's 39% versus 38%. So just barely, but still more kids are saying that they're planning on asking for video game subscriptions over video game consoles, uh, slash game gear, slash accessories, um, and in video game currency. So uh, more than Fortnite bucks or physical video games or home consoles, kids are asking for subscriptions. Now, of course, subscriptions can include things like Apple arcade or, uh, I don't know, what is that, GTA Online, the subscription service, World of Warcraft, I don't know, other kinds of subscription services, right? Um, <laughs> Ubisoft Plus, kids are asking mom and dad this year, this holiday season for, for Ubisoft Plus and EA Access, please for the love of God, mom and dad, I want to play, <laughs> I want to play Far Cry 6 on Ubisoft Plus. Anyway, back to being serious, um, 
obviously this is just this is just anecdotal, but um, but I guess the reason I want to bring this up and include this is just because this story does kind of bring to mind this interesting little point I hadn't yet considered, which is while we're doing all this talking about is Game Pass and gaming subscriptions is this here to stay? Is this going to stick? Is this going to be a huge deal? One thing I hadn't considered is for all the people who are holding on to physical media and holding on to the old way of buying games and who don't really like subscriptions and who are kind of rejecting the modernity or at least Xbox's idea of modernity in video games. Um, there's always the new and up and coming generation. What I hadn't considered is right now there are a lot of kids who are growing up in a world where Game Pass has just kind of always been the norm. It's just always kind of been there. And those are the people who I'm most curious to see how their gaming habits evolve. I mean, God, I mean, God, God bless us all. And these are, we're about to see a generation of kids who didn't grow up being like, mom, dad, can I get super Mario world for the super Nintendo for Christmas? We're about to see the kids who are like, Oh man, I remember the Christmas of 2023 when mom and dad got me three months of game pass and 14 Fortnite bucks. I got V bucks on Fortnite. And it's like, Oh my God, you, you got two plastic cards to buy nonsense on uh, on christmas day and they're gonna be like that's that's the most nostalgic christmas i ever i ever had i remember my ai mother my ai father uh in in, in front of my in front uh, in front of my uh christmas tree that was actually just a series of drones uh lit up in in formation to look like a christmas tree i asked them for Fortnite money and uh god kid kids childhood these days so so fucking bleak by comparison but it's it's interesting because it could mean that as the older generation starts to kind of age out, and it's not to say like people in their twenties and thirties are about to go fucking fall off a cliff and die, but um, it does suggest that you know as the younger base continues to become the main collection of people playing games, more and more of those people are going to have these new habits of games as a service, subscription service style gaming related plans and, and, and platforms and things like that. And those are the kinds of things that companies like Xbox are probably hinging on and focusing on the most in terms of, you know, like these are the future gamers. These are the, ha- these are the people we want to fixate on targeting to build these habits and to build this kind of dependency on, you know, it sounds, it sounds a little predatory, right? But you know, like to build this comfort and dependency on subscription services. Like, I mean, you think about like People around my age, people in my generation, it's like, yeah, I, I grew up with cable TV. Don't get me wrong. I, I remember direct TV, of course, as a child. But, uh, you know, as an adult, I wouldn't fucking subscribe to cable TV if my life depended on it. Like, that shit sucks. Uh, because my generation was introduced to, like, Netflix and stuff like that. So, yeah, even though everyone has Netflix and everyone has Max or Disney Plus or whatever, it's like, you know, there are still boomers and such out there who have their dish network and their direct TV set up because they just got to have, they just got to have CNBC and, uh, and the animal planet, um, or else they're just gonna, they're gonna just lose the, lose themselves. And people like me are like, fuck those channels. I'm going to go watch uh, Seinfeld on Hulu for the 800th time when I could just save myself hundreds of dollars by buying the DVD box set and never having to subscribe to this thing ever again. But nonetheless, here we are, and that's and that's the way it is. So, again, it's all about developing the habits uh, for for people going forward. And you're not right. You want to get forty five year old Nintendo nostalgic gamer Dan invested in Game Pass if you're Xbox. You do want him, but more important than Dan are Dan's kids because Dan's kids didn't grow up with SNES 
or, or GameCube or whatever the fuck it is. And, uh, and, and, and they are the generation that wants Fortnite and, and Xbox Game Pass and Robux and all those other things. And so looking at it that way, it's like, wow, there's a, this is just the beginning. Like this stuff, even though Game Pass numbers are a little stagnant right now, there's so much potential for this stuff to blow up going forward because right now we got generations of people who are children growing up in a world where Apple Arcade, Fortnite, Game Pass, EA Access, Ubisoft Plus, whatever the hell these things are called, are commonplace and make gaming really accessible for people who are eight years old and don't have discretionary income. So if you have a couple months subscription to Game Pass, you can play a lot more games than if mom and dad buy you the collector's edition of Baldur's Gate 3 that comes with a naked girl who looks like a lizard. Ah, oh, what a great game. Ah, oh, so much better than Starfield. Listen, Starfield, you can romance Andresia. You can freaking become starborn. You can freaking shoot people in that western-looking town that I don't like. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. I don't I, I don't really know what else to say other than I just thought that was kind of interesting because I, I I so often am stuck thinking about myself and my peers that I forgot about the children and they're they're really the future of it all when you think about it so that's going to do for our opening news stories segments guys I think we're three hours in the podcast and we're done with the opening segment so that's cool uh, you can tell I'm rusty man I'm just I'm really just taking my time doing whatever I whatever the hell but let's take a quick break from the video game news um, before we get into the full-blown news stories of the week Talk about a couple games I've been playing this week, kind of, maybe. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. You know what one of the fun things about moving the week of Thanksgiving and not having a refrigerator because Home Depot delayed your refrigerator, but it's Thanksgiving, so you can't be mad that they delayed your, your refrigerator because you don't want the delivery driver to be delivering your refrigerator on Thanksgiving because you want the delivery driver to be home with their family because it's Thanksgiving after all and you want them to be with their family on a major holiday. You don't want to be an asshole who makes some guy work on a major holiday like Thanksgiving, but the side effect of that is you don't get your refrigerator, so you're in your brand new house without a refrigerator on Thanksgiving. You know what, you know what the benefit of that is? All last week, we didn't we didn't have a refrigerator, in case you didn't catch on. And um, we had to basically eat out a lot, a lot. Like, I, I'm pretty good these days about, especially like this year, just trying to save up for a house and prepare for home ownership. Like, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm, I'm shopping at Aldi. I'm shopping at Aldi. I'm keeping the grocery bill under 100 bucks. We're eating fucking off-brand everything, man. I, I don't even have a taste for the name brand shit at this point in time. Like, it's just, it's all off-brand Aldi everything. $1.13 for eggs, $1.79 for a loaf of bread. It's cheap, it's doable, it's it's how we're getting by, right? But because the whole past week, I mean, we were just moving like crazy. We didn't hire movers, we moved everything ourselves because our apartment and our house are only about five miles apart. So, Blessing in disguise, right? We're able to save a lot of money not having movers, but also a fucking curse because um, I spent like four days straight just moving shit from my apartment to my house back and forth and back and forth. And now every inch of my body is in just disrepair. I'm, I'm pretty sure I damaged a nerve in one of my fingers, but that's okay. The point of this is to say that we really had to rely on eating out this last week um, in order to sur- survive. So this week for the what I've been eating, I have a fucking lit a litany of of things I could choose from. Dude, we could talk about anything and everything you want. We got Chinese takeout on this bitch. We got fucking Taco Bell, all the other fast food restaurants. Like my body hates me right now. Like, thank God today I had salad for the first time in a while. And my body was like, Oh my God, I remember leafy greens. It was amazing. But no, last week was terrible. Uh, and, and, and 
I thought to myself, how can I make lemonade out of these lemons? You know, obviously as a kid eating out every night at a fast food restaurant would sound phenomenal, but as an adult, it's a hellish nightmare and I hate it uh, because after night two, you, you want to die. But I said, we got to make something great out of this because I'm pretty much forced against my will to eat out every night. And I don't have money for like nice restaurants. We just got to stick to fast food right now. I'm poor. We're moving. We're trying all the fast food restaurants in and around our immediate area where our, our house is. And we have actually, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but possibly the closest fast food restaurant I now live next to is a Culver's. That sucks, dude. My apartment was literally less than half a mile from, from a McDonald's, maybe like a third of a mile from a McDonald's. But now my closest fast food restaurant to me that I that I, I'm pretty sure I can I can think of is a Culver's. Now to be fair, I'm just about as close to like Panera Bread and Taco Bell and in another direction, very close to another McDonald's. So it's not like I don't have access to plenty of other fast food. I do trust me. I'll, I'll die a fat boy. Don't worry about that. But I think like the absolute closest I am in proximity to any fast food restaurant now is Culver's. So I was like, you know what? I feel like we've been talking about Culver's on Xbox on for as long as we've been doing the podcast about how I tried it once about five years ago. I thought it was really shitty. I thought it was overrated. I didn't understand the appeal. Fuck that place. Culver sucks. Thumbs down. Move on with your life. And especially back in the early days, people used to ride in and they'd be like, Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about? Culver's is amazing. You're so stupid. Maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe you were just dumb in your brain. And people kept telling me, go back to Culver's, give them another try. You did it wrong. So I uh, I went back to Culver's this past week to give them their second try in five years. You know, keep in mind, last time I, the, the only other time I had Culver's was back when I still lived in Atlanta. So Georgia location, maybe that was just a, a one-off bad experience. So it's been five years. Uh, I'm here in Florida. It's a new location. I'm a new man. I have a podcast where we've talked about this restaurant before. I'm obligated to give it another go. Let's try Culver's. Okay, let's talk about this. The Culver's near where my house is is relatively new. I think it's like not even a year old. And you walk in there. First things first, I just got to say, atmosphere-wise, Culver's needs to get sued. Because if I'm IHOP, I'm over here looking at Culver's saying, that's our fucking store. Culver's looks pound for pound like they just got they, they just ripped off an IHOP. It's like, you know, like when like a Pizza Hut or something closes down and then like a, a local Chinese restaurant moves in and then you walk in and you're like, I can feel that this used to be a Pizza Hut, but it's a Chinese restaurant. That's what Culver's is like. It's like, I can feel that this was an IHOP, but it's a Culver's. So first of all, I just want to say that copying IHOP and I, and I notice it. That being said, I'm told the thing at Culver's to get is the Butterburger, right? I'm told, like, that's what they're famous for. Wisconsin Butterburgers. I love Butterburgers. The one at Steak and Shake is amazing. I never get it because Steak and Shake is fucking hellscape to get in and out of. But if you ever find yourself at a Steak and Shake, their Butterburger is so good. So I'm like, all right, I'm at Culver's. I'm going to get a Butterburger. I remember thinking their fries were kind of fucking weak. So I'm going to get onion rings because I love onion rings. And, oh, that's cool. They have, like, their own root beer on tap. So that's pretty cool. Let's get that. I don't know what happened five years ago that was different, but Butterburger, phenomenal. Onion rings, pretty damn good. In-house root beer, a little too sweet. So I tried the diet. It was better. Diet root beer was a lot better than the regular root beer. Maybe it's just because I don't drink a lot of regular soda these days, but the diet one was pretty good. So I was like, we're three for three. We got an excellent burger. We got decent enough uh, onion rings, and we got pretty good, unique root beer here. So... Culver's, 
Round of applause. So I think last time what happened was I got the Royale burger, which is like just the classic burger with like lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle, and all that. And I didn't get the butter burger. So this time I I, I intentionally was like, I'm going to keep it so fucking simple. I'm just going to get a classic butter burger. I'm not going to jazz it up. I just want to see, can you get the basics right? So they let you customize everything. So I got butter burger, American cheese, caramelized onions, mayonnaise, nothing else. And trust me, I like to load up my burgers. I'm a huge fan of lettuce, tomato, tomato, pickle, raw onion, fried egg, bacon, mayonnaise. Put it all in a burger. I love all that shit. Load up a burger. That's great stuff. But I'm keeping it simple because it's a Wisconsin butter burger. You're supposed to keep it down to its core essence. So, so caramelized onions, mayonnaise, American cheese. That's all. I, that's all that's on this burger. Phenomenal. It was so damn good. Bun was phenomenal. Burger was phenomenal. Uh, everything. It's such a good burger. So I got to say, I don't know what I did wrong before, but Culver's is good now. I am a fan of Culver's. Not only that, but I got to compliment Culver's because Culver's is like everything I wish Chick-fil-A was when it comes to its service. Culver's is very clean like Chick-fil-A. It's got that weird creepy thing where it's like exclusively staffed by young high school students. You know, you know, like you go to most fast food restaurants and it's like, oh yeah, here's like a guy who's like, 30 and he's working at the drive-thru at Taco Bell. It's like, okay, that's, you know, it happens. There's no, there's no shame. Any job is a job worth doing. Like shout out to you, like just working and putting in the hours. That's respectable. But like, that's what I'm used to when I go to like a McDonald's or a Taco Bell. But for some reason, when you go to Chick-fil-A, it's like always exclusively like little, like little Christian ki- high school kids. And they're like, mm, God bless. Here's your chicken. Mm. Culver's has that energy too, where it's like, it's super clean. It's run by kids who are like also on the track and field team. So they need, they need off next Thursday, that kind of thing. You know, it's got that energy, the little high school energy, but what's great about it is even though they're prompt, they're good. They, they did a good job. The service was good. You know, the order was correct and timely. They're not like Chick-fil-A when they're like, mm, can I wipe your table, sir? Can I get a refill for you, sir? Can I wipe your asshole, sir? Like they don't do that shit, which I'm so grateful for. So it's like the perfect balance of like, it's not like dirty and shitty and sad like fucking KFC, but it's not like overly served like Chick-fil-A where I'm like, do I need to tip this guy or something? Like what are, what are we doing here? So shout out to Culver's. You got IHOP aesthetics. You got the weird little teenage slave labor thing going on. You got really good butter burgers and everything else I tried there was adequate. So it was so good that I decided to post about it. And then, and then I got some additional comments saying, whoa, 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 Jesse. Now you got, you, you can't just get the, the butter burger. You got to understand Culver's is big because of the fish sandwich. Culver's also has a really good chicken sandwich. You got to get the cheese curds. So now I'm being told, you know, Bryce, listen to the show on Twitter, calling me out saying, you got to get those you got to get those cheese curds. And I said, you know what, Bryce, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry, sir. Let me go get those fucking cheese curds. So a few nights later, still don't have a refrigerator. Still too sore to do anything. What, what am I going to do? Go to the store and get a salad and put it together. I don't even know where my bowls and plates are. It's like everything's in box right now. Okay. I'm moving. Give me a break. I need Culver's. So night number two, my girlfriend's like, I didn't like Culver's. Please don't go back to Culver's. I'm like, oh, so now we went from I hate Culver's to you hate Culver's. So now we got to go to Chick-fil-A for her so she can get her chicken. Takes way too long. Shout out to the Chick-fil-A near us. It sucks. Then we go to Culver's again, and this time I get the fish sandwich and the cheese curds. And now now we're talking about cheese curds. Bryce, you're right. You're right. Cheese curds at at, at, uh, Culver's, amazing. So the, the game plan for future reference is to get a butter burger with cheese curds. The fish sandwich, um, it was okay. 
it was okay. The the texture was perfect. It was like it was really crispy. The battering was really well done. The bun is nice, soft. Um, I appreciate that they do the tartar sauce and cheese and lettuce combo, kind of like like a like a fillet of fish at McDonald's, but with lettuce. And so I, I'm I'm a fan of everything about it except the flavor's pretty bland. Like it's like it's got the crunch, it's got the look, it's got the texture, it's got the the feel, it's got the toppings, but the flavor's like so so mild that I feel like I'm kind of eating nothing. And I guess that's kind of like the magic of the filet of fish at, at McDonald's as well, is that it's like it has so little flavor, but it's still so good somehow. So like it was good and I ate the whole thing. And I enjoyed it and it was fine, but I wouldn't get it again. So fish sandwich, good, not great. Butter burger, God tier. Onion rings, solid. Cheese curds, God tier. Cheese curds are just like, they're just like any cheese curd you get anywhere. They're amazing. Uh, I should have got a side of ranch dressing to dip them in. I did not do that. So I ate them dry. Still great. Um, so shout out to Culver's. You are now, you now went from not even being on my radar to being pretty high up there. And the worst part of all is I live really close to you now. So when I leave my house, I turn left out of my neighborhood, just literally go straight for like two and a half miles. I got Culver's and Taco Bell right there. Boom, boom, baby. Oh boy. It's going to be good. No, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be good. So that's it for what I've been eating. I, I also tried the new Mountain Dew Game Fuel. Gotta say, I, I'm, I feel somewhat disappointed by it. Again, it's the same thing I said with the root beer. I just, I haven't had regular soda in so long that it, like, it's just too sweet. I don't know. I've seen, some people have asked me, they said it tastes kind of like cough syrup. My girlfriend even said, it tastes kind of like, like that cherry cough syrup you give kids. The flavor does seem to be a little off. It doesn't seem to be 100% the classic game fuel we all knew and loved back in the day. It's good. It's just, I don't know if it's me or if it's the recipes changed, but it's just like too much sweetness, too much sugar, so... It's good. I'm enjoying it, but that's not the big exciting thing. The Mountain Dew with the picture of Halo on it, that's not the big exciting thing. Um, the big exciting thing is what I've been playing, which is also Halo-related. So let's move over to what I've been playing. And uh, it, it, it should go without saying again. This is the last time I'll have to bring it up. I've been moving all week. I have not been playing video games. I haven't played Modern Warfare 3 at all. I actually feel so bad because this time last year, I was so up Modern Warfare 2's butthole. Um, and this th- this year, I just I don't have a single fucking second of time to play any video game. So I'm not even playing Modern Warfare 3 at all. But after I set up my, um, after I set up my, like when we moved to the house and I set up the TV and the Xbox and everything in the living room, I had to make sure that I didn't break my TV because I'm like, I was like so worried that I was going to crack it or drop it or it was just going to not survive transit or something. So one of the first things I did when I moved the TV over to the house was I hooked it all up to make sure it worked. So it was kind of funny the way it worked. We did that run, the TV set up, my girlfriend, I don't remember what it was. She had to leave and go do something. She had to pick something up or move something or something happened. But she had to go for a minute. So I'm in the house alone. I'm setting up the TV and I got it propped up on the entertainment center. I'm like, let's just, you know, make sure nothing's broken. I hook up the Xbox. I set up the Wi-Fi. It's all good. I'm like, let's start up Halo Infinite. Oh, hey, that Halo, uh, that Halo 3 throwback playlist is live. Maybe let's just play a game let's make sure my controller is not broken let's make sure the screen doesn't have any issues when you're playing a game let's make sure everything's okay i play a match it was meant to be it was one flag ctf favorite halo map of all time high ground halo 3 i'm like okay okay here we fucking go okay i had so much maybe it was because i was so exhausted from the move and i wanted so badly to mentally escape from reality that having eight and a half minutes to play one match of Halo Infinite felt like the most gratifying moment in existence. I don't know if that it's that or if it was just like 
getting to play Halo 3 on Halo Infinite felt so amazing, but that that like eight, nine, ten minutes of that one multiplayer match was the most fun I've had on Halo in a very long time. And I had a lot of fun with that last event with that new map with the fucking um, Needler cave looking map. But man, oh man, it was so much fun. So much fun, in fact, that uh, the other night I, I I was like, I'm going to bed now. And then I snuck downstairs and played like three more matches of Halo. And I was like, oh my God, this is so, this is so good. And all I got to say is what I have learned from those new maps that came out last month and now this new Halo 3 throwback playlist that's on Halo Infinite is here's my final verdict on Halo Infinite's multiplayer. I have not been able to put my finger quite on the problem yet and and really diagnose what it is that's wrong with this game. But my issue, my thing with Halo Infinite for basically as long as it's been around has always been like the multiplayer is really, really, really good, but there's something wrong with it. And I don't know what it is. And I keep blaming skill-based matchmaking, but I finally figured out what it truly really is. Halo Infinite is some of the best Halo multiplayer ever created with the absolute worst maps ever put in a Halo game. That is my verdict of Halo because whenever there is a good map, like that first firing range map that was in the beta back in 2021 or, um, that new Needler map that came out last month that was so, so good. Whenever there's a new map, Halo Infinite is just this magical online experience. Call of Duty who? I don't give a shit. Halo Infinite is all I care about. So good. And then you take this handful of incredible maps from Halo 3 and you put them in Halo Infinite. This happened also like a year ago when they did that like updated version of the pit and they brought it into Halo Infinite and it was around just for like the holidays last year or whatever. Same thing. It's like, I get so fucking addicted to Halo Infinite the second you put good maps in that game. But the problem is the majority of the game's maps suck. I don't know if it's because they all look the same. I don't know if it's because the the layout is just bad or I'm not sophisticated enough to know map design to know why some maps are better than others. But all I can say is Halo Infinite's maps range from god-awful trash to completely fine and serviceable but just very uninspired. And every now and then there's a good map or you have something happen like now where they have this Halo 3 throwback playlist and you get to play all these excellent Halo 3 maps. But man, when the maps are good, Halo Infinite is a fucking masterpiece. The multiplayer is just so good. Say what you will about the way they just swept Halo 5's narrative under the rug in the campaign mode or the fact that the, this game will never be finished now that they fired half the people at 343 and all that shit. Say what you will. But... Halo Infinite's multiplayer, oh my god. It it has the potential, and, and this is a moment where it's living up to that potential, where it is just such pure perfection. It is bliss. I, I mean, I love Call of Duty. Like, I had so much fun with Modern Warfare 2 last year. I'm having fun with Modern Warfare 3, or it was until I moved, and now I haven't had time to play it again. But, like, these four or five matches total I've been able to play of Halo Infinite with this throwback playlist is just the best Halo I've played in so long. And... Man, if they could just... I don't want Halo to become like Call of Duty where it's just constantly about like bringing back old maps, bring back the old maps. I'm okay with a certain amount of that. But like, I want new maps that capture that magic. And I'm I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, new stuff can't be as good as old stuff. I'm just purely nostalgic because there are maps from Halo 4 I love. There are maps from Halo 5 I love. There are maps from Halo Reach I love. And there's a couple maps in Halo Infinite I like a lot. But Halo Infinite has overall pound for pound the weakest maps of any halo game and yes 
That is including the fact that Halo Reach had a lot of Forge world maps. Yes, I, I'm aware that that happened. I'm aware that that pissed people off. I remember that, but I had a lot more fun on those Forge world maps and Halo uh, in, um, and Halo Reach than I than I've been having in a lot of the standard maps on Halo Infinite. It's just they're just not they're just not very good. And um, man, this 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 event this playlist is really really bringing that to light for me. So. <laughs> God, 343, for the love of God, just please continue to work on having great maps in this game, and this game will be astonishing because it is so much fun. But that's it for what I've been playing. That's it for what I've been eating. Now we can move back on over to the news, talk about that. I think we only got like three stories this week, and then uh, we'll wrap up with some comments. Uh, but yeah, we'll take a two-second break and then be right back. All right, let's jump into the news, starting with a little bit of Call of Duty news. I haven't been playing Call of Duty, but that doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. In fact, I'm really excited about next year's Call of Duty because Black Ops, because Treyarch, because Treyarch makes the best Call of Duties and Black Ops are the best Call of Duties, and because next year's Call of Duty is almost certainly definitely going to be Black Ops Gulf War. I don't know if they'll call it that. I wonder if they will call it that because it's just, I mean, I guess it's not Black Call of Duty Black Ops Gulf War, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Gulf and Cold aren't very similar words, but for some reason when put together like that, it does sound too much like the same freaking, I don't know, whatever. Maybe they'll just call it Call of Duty Black Ops Gulf War. If they do, that's fine. I don't give a shit. Cold War was such a good game, and I'm sure this one will be even better. So let's freaking take it. Let's make it happen. Anyway, let's talk about it. From VGC, fresh details about 2024's Call of Duty game have seemingly leaked. Backing up previous reports, Windows Central, the best, the best, dude. Windows Central is the best. If you don't like Windows Central, you are illiterate. Uh, sources over at Windows Central claim that the unannounced game is a new Black Ops title set in the early 1990s during the Gulf War, which is being developed uh, with development being led by Treyarch. Uh, Treyarch are the gods of Call of Duty, the ones that make all the good ones like World at War. But um, also important to note, not to take the thunder away from Windows Central this is a good scoop, but as someone who just watches a lot of Call of Duty YouTubers, or at least lately I have in the past few years, um, it must be said that this has been the rumor and the speculation surrounding this game for like three years now. Like, I mean, like I'm pretty sure like this has been at least in the call of duty fan community, been pretty much understood to be, even though nothing's been confirmed or leaked, it's been pretty widely understood that the next Treyarch game is a black ops game set in the Gulf war. Anyway, it will reportedly seek to explore a nuanced narrative of the Gulf war with a critical focus on different participants within the conflict. Ooh, that sounds that sounds like that sounds good. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Judge the U.S. Make the U.S. look bad. Shit on the U.S. Do it. Do it. Do it. And then they'll be like, "You're the, the, oh, dude, it'll be so good." And the Daily Wire will be like, "Is Call of Duty woke? Is Call of Duty a socialist now?" And then they'll be like, "Yes, yes, Call of Duty is a socialist." And they'll buy. I'll buy two copies. I'll buy three copies just to piss you off. Anyway, uh, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Uh, it will reportedly blah, blah, blah. We already said that. Oh, okay. And the game will lean back into the more... Tra Here's the really exciting part. The game is said to lean back into the more traditional military combat technology and familiar Black Ops gadgetry as opposed to the current near-future tech we've seen in the Modern Warfare and some other recent Call of Duty titles. It's been claimed that the game's multiplayer offering could include a large number of classic maps from the Black Ops series, while the round-based zombies game mode, will be, uh, which first appeared in, in Call of Duty Treyarch titles, um, will also return. Windows Central reports that Activision is exploring the possibilities of offering a lengthy early access period as a pre-order bonus. So this is new. I haven't heard about this yet. Um, with several days 
for the base game and possibly weeks for zombies. That would be fucking amazing. Uh, the game is expected to release in late fall or early winter 2024. So basically probably November next year. Uh, concept art for the title seemingly appeared online um, last year after it was discovered in files of Call of Duty Warzone mobile app. It apparently shows an F117, F17, F117, a Spartan jet fighter, a stealth attack aircraft, which played a key role in the Gulf War. Um, yeah, so I mean, I listen, this is real. I believe this, okay? The, again, there's some, some things like Call of Duty leaks and rumors are almost always to be believed. I mean, these games are worked on by so many studios and so many people across so many parts of the world that it's just, it's inevitable. This shit cannot stay on lo- under lock and it always just leaks. So kind of like how, how Ubisoft can't keep like a, like a, a Far Cry game or Assassin's Creed game under locks for long. It's kind of the same thing where it's just, there's just too many hands in too many places. It's the stuff's going to naturally leak out. And uh, yeah, this sounds, this sounds great. This sounds like exactly what I want from Call of Duty. Just more, Traditional Call of Duty, there have been rumors that they might even get rid of, and this is this is like something that's like, well, I don't know about this. Don't and, and don't say you heard it from me. It's it's just things I've heard, and it's all to be determined. But they might even be taking out the tactical sprint and just going back to the classic single run mode, kind of like how Black Ops Cold War did. Dude, if we can just make this game more and more like classic Call of Duty, and less and less like that tactical war zone bullshit that Modern Warfare 2019 just completely destroyed the franchise with, and I say destroyed as a person who's played so much Modern Warfare 2 and 3, and Black Ops Cold War, and Vanguard, and all that shit. But, it, it does seem like, at least with Van- or with um Black Ops Cold War, and maybe with this game as well, there's just this little bit of an air with Treyarch where it's like, yeah, y'all keep cramming new shit into this series and we're going to continue to kind of make classic Call of Duty as best we can. And I don't know. I love that the round-based zombies map, the classic style maps, the uh, classic style multiplayer suite, an awesome campaign. Like, let's just, let's fucking do it. I don't, I don't need you to remake all the Modern Warfare 2 and 2009 maps, although they are probably definitely going to. I think the rumor right now is that this will be a two-year game if all goes well, and that it will be like year one will be a lot of original maps, and then year two will be like remade Black Ops 1 and 2 maps. So we'll see about that. They, they remake a lot of Black Ops maps over the years, so I, I don't think we need to see those for the millionth time, but we'll, we'll see. But yeah, overall, I mean, this, just, uh, this is super exciting. I feel like this is kind of what call of duty needs is just that that sent like uh, let's put it like this it seems like the new modern warfare 3 is kind of a mixed bag where people are pleasantly surprised that the zombies mode is kind of good actually um the multiplayer is really good um but it again it's just like i don't know all these remade maps it's like can we get original content and then the campaign is a absolute travesty i feel like this game is the so far seems like the makeup, like the ingredients to have that trifecta again, a great campaign, a great multiplayer suite, a great zombie suite. If they can just nail all three of those, like they used to regularly do. I mean, world at war, all three modes were great. Uh, Modern warfare two, you know, spec ops instead of zombies, but all three modes were great. You know, black ops one and two, all three modes were great. Like they used to nail this shit consistently. And honestly, I think black ops cold war had, a great zombies multiplayer and campaign. So like if we can get 
it's something that's at least on par with like Black Ops Cold War, which I suspect this game will be even better because Black Ops Cold War had a troubled development cycle and some rush stuff and some COVID production stuff. So I feel like this game having a four-year development cycle and you know, in in, in a proper kind of uh, shepherding from from start to finish, uh, could really deliver on just like an incredible Call of Duty experience. I feel like uh, someone who just pays attention to Call of Duty a lot. To put it in layman's terms for people who are less in touch with this specific franchise, if you feel like Call of Duty has been good or bad or mixed bag over the years, I'm telling you that so far, at least from what we know about this game behind the scenes, this one has all the makings of a rock-solid, top-to-bottom, excellent Call of Duty game. And if there's any recent Call of Duty that should have you excited for the franchise, it should be this one. And so I'm just very much looking forward to this. Even even before, you know, Modern Warfare 3 came out this year and before we knew about all that and stuff, this was always the game I was, like, most looking forward to. So now, you know, we go from, like, of course I'll get the new Call of Duty. I always get the new Call of Duty. We go from that attitude to, like, oh, yeah, the next Call of Duty is, like, hotly anticipated. Like, this is one of – this is, like, the game. Well, I mean, we don't really know a whole lot of what's happening next year as of right now, so – Right now, I feel like the only games I can think of off the top of my head that are coming out next year for sure that I'm like definitely max hype on Black Ops Gulf War and um, and Avowed. So let's let's fucking do it, baby. Let's get let's get what is the the saying? Let's get that bread, boys and girls. Um, so, yeah, there we go. All right. Next up, let's let's move some from from some exciting news to some really sad news that just keeps snowballing into more bullshit. We got four updates regarding Embracer Group and basically detailing how this 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 group is just falling apart to shambles. So let's kind of go through this. I don't really know how much time we'll spend on each point because I think the idea has already been made. You know, the, the kind of message has already been sent that it's falling apart over at Embracer Group. But nonetheless, here we go. Embracer Group's ongoing restructuring has resulted in 900 employees being let go during its second quarter ending in September uh, the company announced that in June it was implementing a restructuring plan, which would involve the closure of studios and cancellation of projects. It has since shut down studios like Saint Road Developer Volition and Campfire uh, Cabal, while others have reportedly been put on up for sale, such as Borderlands developer Gearbox. Embracer has also made layoffs at companies uh, including Gearbox Publishing, Tomb Raider maker Crystal Dynamics, Knights of the Old Republic maker uh, Beamdog, and Pinball FX maker Zen Studios, among others. Company CEO and co-founder Lars Wingford addressed the layoffs, which affected 5% of its workforce during an opening remarks of their second quarter earnings presented last Thursday. Well, it must have been last last Thursday. He wasn't doing this on Thanksgiving Day. <coughs> so he addresses that the 900 people have been laid off and blah, blah, blah. Thank you for your service and all that. So we're immediately in a really bad position where all these projects have been canceled. Some studios have been closed. Now 900 people are losing their jobs. So how does it? So what happens from here? Well, a restructuring happens. So part two of this four-part stories. Uh, Embracer Group goes on to provide further details about their ongoing restructuring plan and how during their quarterly earnings and how they plan to to kind of fix and repair and re-align uh, the company. Uh, I'm going to butcher this. Muge Bouillon, the chief financial officer of Embracer's board game company as Modi, uh, who is also serving as financial financial finance workstream lead on the group's restructuring project, said that 15 mainly unannounced projects have been written down across Amplifier, Free Mode, Gearbox, Play On, Saber Interactive, and THQ Nordic, meaning that these games have basically just been canceled, never to see the light of day. They're tax write-offs, so that's millions and millions of dollars right there, just wasted. 
Um, as opposed to write-offs, which would actually reduce the value to zero in accounting terms, write-downs can be incrementally reduced or incremental reductions or partial loss of value. So in that, yeah, so in this case, again, like I said, millions and millions of dollars basically being lost here. Quote, at the end of our quarter, the overall headcount was down 904 people versus Q1, representing roughly a 5% reduction in our workforce. Uh, reduction was primarily driven by internal headcount, which was down 713 and comprised of a 511 developers and 202 non-developer roles. While this is part, uh, partially business as usual bullshit, the majority is driven by a restructuring program that we have put in place. So this is basically them saying, we grew way too fast. We bought way too many studios. Now the economy's rough. Uh, we owe a lot of money. Borrowing money is super expensive, and we're kind of fucked. And so now a lot of people have to lose their jobs because we're bad at being businessmen. That's basically what that translates to. Uh, following up with part three of this story, veteran German game developer Fish Labs is the latest Embracer-owned team to suffer layoffs. Uh, from VGC, Embracer CEO Lars Wingford told the staff that around 50 people in the Hamburg-based studio will be laid off. Sources told VGC uh, that the exec claimed a lack of, approv uh, of approval and financing for an in-development project left with no other choice but to shut them down, basically, or, or lay off the team. PlayOn has confirmed VGC stories and, um, and said that the restructuring at Fish Labs is expected to impact about 50 people of a 120 team. So, yeah, the team's basically been cut down to, to almost half of what it was. Many of the employees posted uh, online last week re uh, reaffirming that they had been made redundant or laid off. Uh, in quote, despite exhaustive efforts to avoid downsizing the lack of approval and therefore financing for the studio's unannounced project, also referred to as Project Black, has made a step unavoidable, a spokesperson said. The remaining team will continue to work on existing co-development. Okay, I don't know how true or not true that is, but I, I hate the th that. I don't, am I reading this wrong, or is that supposed to read like that? It almost sounds like they're blank. They were working on a project that they didn't have funding for or approval for, and that has put us in a position where we've had to do layoffs. Like, well, like they're wasting resources and time because they're creating something. Like. I don't know, man. I don't that that reads weird, and it also kind of reads like you're blaming them for it. Like they forced our hand; we didn't want to lay them off. They forced us to. So that kind of reads fishy, no pun intended. And then finally, uh, Time Splitter Studio Free Radical Design is now facing closure before Christmas, according to again Lars Wingford, who previously acknowledged uh, or who has privately acknowledged the fact. VGC reported earlier in the month that Free Radical was at the threat of being closed just two years after it was established and reestablished as part of a huge company-wide cuts uh, that we just talked about with Embracer. Although they have yet to confirm Free Radical's position, sources at VGC say that Wingford now acknowledges it in a company email that the Nottingham UK-based company could close on December 11th following the completion of a consultant process. Quote, as we move through the consultant process, and face the potential closure of Free Radical Design on December 11th, I want to express my gratitude for the commitment, for your commitment and the remark, remarkable work you've done to still keep it going. This is a challenging time for all of us, but especially for you, and our focus is to support you as much as we can during the transition. For the past six months, Embracer has been carrying out a restructuring plan, which we just detailed. In the case of Free Radical, um, the Embracer division, which runs the studio, is required by UK employment law to consult employees for a minimum of 30 days before making a, the, any redundancies, including exploring ways of avoiding them. 
Uh, they're avoiding the layoffs, not avoiding the employees who you're going to lay off, just to be clear. Uh, there remains a possibility that the studio could remain open should Embrace or receive interest in third parties interested in acquiring it. However, since VGC's initial report this month, a large number of free radical employees have indicated that they are looking for work. And at the time of publishing, over 55 of the studio's 100 staff members listed on LinkedIn that they changed their profiles to indicate they're seeking new employment. Since VGC's original report, some UK studios such as Splash Damage have offered guaranteed interviews for any free radical design employee, basically confirming it's over. So, awesome. Another team with legendary IP and, and, and talent behind that has just been shuttered because, again, Embracer Group grew way too fast, bot, 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 grew, 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 no real plan in place and are now suffering the financial consequences, and they can't maintain this. And, and honestly, I wonder at this point with VGC, with VGC, with, uh, with Embracer, I think the story is going to be, do they shutter altogether? Do they fold altogether? Do they do a, basically exactly what happened with THQ, which is what led to the formation of Embracer Group? Do they have to have some kind of IP fire sale and go down with the ship? And we don't know yet, but in this case, it's kind of peculiar because it seems like they're getting rid of a lot of the best teams they have, canceling a lot of the best projects they have. Like they keep talking about selling off Embrace or uh, uh, Gearbox. It's like Gearbox is probably the most important thing that Embracer has yet. Like they're talking about selling that. I understand short term. That's like a big injection of money to sell Embrace or to sell um, Gearbox, but like long-term that's so short-sighted because that's the team that has the potential to bring you the most success and money and attention so it's like why why would you get rid of those guys so it just seems like they're in such a do or die position for them to have to be considering getting rid of gearbox i mean they have to know that they're not stupid so for them to have to be considering getting rid of gearbox on top of the fact that they're licensing out like their biggest ip like tomb raider to amazon um, these kinds of things tell you that they're in such a do or die situation that they don't have the luxury to be like, well, we'll hold on to Gearbox because because they're so valuable. It seems like they're in a position where it's like we would love to hold on to Gearbox, but we can't afford to do that. We don't have that option, so we need to get rid of them. We need to find a suitor. And if that's the case, then I mean, it's it's it seems like it's pretty much all but game over for Embracer. So I wonder if they're going to be able to salvage this. My guess is that maybe not. Maybe this time next year, Embracer altogether is just no more. Um, I don't wish for that to be the case, but like, if you're really having to get rid of Free Radical and get rid of Gearbox and get rid of Volition and all this, it's like, I don't think you're going to make it as a whole if that's what you have to do. Like, You have no IP. You have no talent. You're getting rid of everything that matters at this point. You're not going to make it. What, what are you going to do? Release another fucking SpongeBob remake or something? Like, I, I don't know how you make it at this point. So, I don't have much more to say just because Embracer keeps coming back in the news for similar reasons, but it's getting so freaking dire over there, and I don't know how many times I can say it, you know, because I, I know it sounds like a broken record at this point, but it's, I don't know. The only other thing there is to say, I guess, at this point is just, you know, shout out to all the fucking developers who, whose lives are being made a living hell now because of all this, so it sucks. All right, we only have one more story this week. Um, yeah, surprisingly, in the two weeks since the last podcast, it hasn't been that busy, but um, there's one more thing I want to talk about just because it's an Xbox update that I feel like kind of signals a lot to the future, or maybe I'm just overlooking this but or looking into it too much. But let's jump in. So from VGC, 
Microsoft has detailed Xbox's November update, which includes a number of new features for PC gamers. Highlighting this month's update is the new compact mode in the Xbox app on PC. Microsoft describes it as new features that enhance your gaming experience by providing more intuitive and user interface on a smaller screen. In compact mode, the sidebar collapses into icons, giving players more space to browse content. It's, uh, it's now available as part of the latest update for all Windows devices, including handhelds like the Asus ROG Ally and the Lenovo Legion Go. Players can now choose to show only unread notifications in the notification dropdown on the Xbox app or PC. And there's a new gaming uh, service repair tool designed to fix issues with gaming services or missing content when launching on the Xbox app and PC on console. Uh, sorry, on console, Microsoft is adding Japanese language support for physical and virtual keyboards. So not much for console, a lot for PC. There's a new notification that will let players know if a game they've uh, listed, that they've wishlisted has been added to Xbox Free Days Play which lets Game Pass subscribers try full versions of select titles for a weekend at no additional charge, which is a nice little quality of life addition there, actually. I really appreciate that. But the big thing here is how they're optimizing. First of all, the Xbox PC app kind of sucks, and everyone knows that, and it's always been kind of talked about. So any refinement and addressing of that app is, is a really great thing. But the fact that they're specifically talking about and formatting and trying to optimize this, this app for devices like the ROG Ally uh, and these other handheld gaming devices tells me that people are playing their Xbox games this way and Xbox is taking that feedback and Xbox is investing in making sure their platform and their ecosystem is optimized for these these platforms, these places to play. And of course, if your number one focus is to push Game Pass and sell Game Pass to people, you want to make sure that your Game Pass service it looks and runs as best as it can on all the devices where it's available and so from that point of view and that's probably all there really is to it it makes sense why they're doing this however i just can't help but fixate on the fact that it's like wow they're taking the time and money and effort into optimizing these apps and experiences for these handheld devices and this comes right at the time where playstation just released that playstation portal which seems to be you know i know there's a lot of like fussing about it because of the internet but also People who are like actually using it and actually getting their hands on it for the most part seem to be pretty impressed by it. It seems like it's selling quite well. And while it's not something like the Asus uh, ROG Ally, you know, where it's like a, a PC handheld, it is more of like a streaming device. Still, the concept or the, the, the yeah, the base concept is, is similar enough where it's like play your home console in a tablet form, in a handheld form. And I between like things like the ROG Ally, which I'm interested in, I'm interested in these kinds of devices and stuff like the PlayStation Portal. It's like, I just can't help but really deeply, truly wish that I could just play my Xbox this way. I want this so bad. I want an Xbox-made device, like a handheld device. I don't care if it's streaming. I don't care if it's proprietary hardware or, you know, built-in hardware. Whatever whatever it is, whatever the case may be, I want an official Xbox product like this. And it seems like they've done everything but make the device. And I know with those huge leaks we saw a few months back, that is something that has been on the roadmap for them. It's not necessarily funded. It's not necessarily confirmed. But they have had it in the discussion. And, and, and I don't know, man. It's like you see the Steam Deck. You see the PlayStation Portal and all these other devices. And how they're all taking off. And they're all doing well. And they're selling. And people like them. There's demand for them. And the conversation's being had more and more and more. It's like Xbox... This isn't VR. You need to be at this space. You need to do something here. We need you. And I just really, really hope that they adhere 
to that and that we see a proprietary Xbox officially made handheld device in the coming years because I would eat that shit up. There's all I got to say to that. So update looks good. Xbox, let's get a handheld in the works. Please, for the love of Christ. And that's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. Let's wrap up with a couple of important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant individual discussions. So let's just blast these real quick. Dragon's Dogma 2 has official release dates March 22nd next year. Um, and as part of that, this will be the first uh, game from Capcom to be priced at $69.99. So 70 bucks uh, for the first time. They're moving away from the $60 price tag. Uh, next up, let's talk about a couple Sega uh, news updates. There's a Sega trio, I'm calling it, where Sega is targeting more acquisitions and looking to uh, not looking to sell up despite interest from many companies. They even mentioned in the CNBC interview, uh, Microsoft and th- that kind of story that was making the rounds earlier this year, saying that like, hey, people are interested in us, but we're not interested in selling. We're actually looking to grow and remain independent. We just bought Rovio and we, we want to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Sega's, they, they're trying to become a bigger player. And I actually really admire and appreciate this about them is that they're um, staying their ground. They're doing their thing. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's cool that they're not going to be just the Sonic guys and that they're trying to uh, remain a big player. And that's, that's, that's awesome. So look for more acquisitions from Sega in the coming years. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily awesome, but just the fact that they're trying to remain independent and grow and be big. I think it's cool. Um, so next up for Sega, they also admitted that the recently released Sonic Superstars did not sell as well as they hoped during its initial sales period. During a financial resor- results, Sega Sammy Holdings president and group CEO Haruki Satomi said that the game had a weaker start than they had planned for uh, when it was released in October. Um, but in reality, the Sonic IP sells most, uh, most it's mainly, sorry, sells most in November to December because Christmas shopping, because kids want Christmas games. And uh, more than 90% of the title's marketing costs will be spent in the Thanksgiving holiday season from November onwards. Uh, they said that although the new financial results uh, from this week uh, were a little disappointing, that they are forecasting the title sales slightly weaker uh, with the view of this of the status of start um, mentioned above, and that they plan to continue their marketing efforts to sell the same level of games for Sonic Superstars that they sold to Sonic Frontiers. Always that weird wording with these Japanese quotes. But anyway, basically what they're saying is the game didn't sell as well as Sonic Frontiers did last year. It sold a little softer than we wanted to. But hey, November and December is usually our best months for Sonic games because Christmas shopping and kids want Sonic games. Yeah, I mean, this. listen, man. They released this game in such a busy window. And more importantly, they released it right up against Mario Wonder. You have a brand new 2D Sonic game and a brand new 2D Mario game. What did you think was going to happen? I've already seen the game on sale. Um, I and, and honestly, for as much of a Sonic fan as I am, I, I didn't buy this game. Now, that has more to do with being strapped for time and cash because of moving and less to do with me wanting the game because if this were just another regular-ass year, I would have fucking pre-ordered and played this game day one. But yeah, I, I haven't even bought this game yet, and I've already noticed that it's on a 30% off sale. In fact, I am a little conflicted because even though I probably should and will buy it on Xbox... A part of me kind of wants to buy it on Switch because I, I don't know, 2D Sonic is so good for handheld. But also, I'll be honest, a part of me is also kind of leaning more towards Mario Wonder than Sonic. And I can't help but think a lot of kids probably ask for Mario over Sonic. And that might be part of the sales um, issue that they're experiencing. Although, the game reviewed well enough and I'm sure it will continue to sell and have legs because 
kids do like Sonic, despite the fact that we all like to act like Sonic's old and done with. Um, kids still like Sonic, which is awesome. Good to know there's some something to look forward to with the future. All right, and lastly, Sega has said that Creative Assembly will go back to working on the genre it's best known for, like RTSs, following the cancellation of Hyenas. So we can now assume that Creative Assembly is going to make another real-time strategy game, which is cool because they make good RTSs. All right, next up, Unity has uh, confirmed that they are planning to cut 265 jobs or 3.8% of its global workforce as the company resets following the departure of their CEO and all the blundering that they did earlier in this year. So not necessarily great news, but... um, it's not surprising. Next up, Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2 has been significantly delayed. Publisher Focus Focus Entertainment has confirmed. I was really looking forward to this game, so that's a little disappointing, but also it'll be better that way. Uh, the sequel to the 2011 hack and slash game Space Marine was revealed at the Game Awards in 2021 and uh, was then re-revealed or shown again at the 2022 Game Awards. So yeah, I don't know when this game is coming now, but... Oh my god, I can't wait to see... Well, I can't wait to play this game when it does come out because it's actually so fucking cool looking. Uh, and then next up, and I think... No, we got a few more. A couple more. Borderlands 4 and Tiny Tina's Wonderland have been mentioned on LinkedIn profiles as uh, by former Gearbox employees, saying that the teams are the team is probably working on both of those games as their next entries, which isn't totally surprising. Apparently, um, Tiny Tina's Wonderland sold well, so to go back and revisit it, not entirely surprising and then borderlands is always like kind of a it just seems like borderlands is kind of the thing they're known for now and that's what they're going to do which is a little disappointing it would be nice to see um gearbox get to do something else but people love borderlands so not entirely surprising and then next up ubisoft's officially announced beyond good and evil 20th anniversary edition that will come out in early 2024 which is just laughable because beyond good and evil 2 was announced like seven years ago and Still hasn't gotten more than a fake trailer, um, but okay. Next up, Rockstar veteran Laszlo Jones and Michael Unsward are taking are working alongside Dan Hauser at Absurd Ventures. It has been revealed, having co-founded Rockstar in '98. Hauser left in early 2020 after announcing his latest venture, transmedia film firm Absurd, earlier in the year. And has now transpired that Jones, who left Rockstar in 2020 after 19 years with the company, has joined the team uh, the following June as one of the founding members. So they're on to something, and we'll learn more about that soon. And lastly, CD Projekt Red has provided a sales update on Cyberpunk 2077's Phantom Liberty expansion, saying the game has sold extremely well. The expansion has done... Uh, 4.3 million in sales in its first two months. The game came out on September 26th, so it's really good for an expansion, and uh, they're pleased with it. So there you go. Doing well over there in Cyberpunk land. That is going to do it for all of our news this week. You guys, I'm exhausted. My face hurts just thinking about just thinking about anything. I don't know why I'm talking so much, but here we are. It's been a couple weeks. I'm excited to talk about Xbox with all you guys. And so, yeah. Now we move on to the final best and last segment of the podcast, the comments, the shout outs, the inquiries, youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. It's at Xbox on podcast and youtube.com. Click on the latest episode of the podcast. Please subscribe while you're there and drop a comment. You can say anything nice, anything mean or anything in between. And I will read it because I'm desperate for your attention. So just say something, please, for the love of God, talk to me and we will read your comments here on the air next week on Xbox on. So 
Our first comment this week comes from none other than Headhunting Halo. And keep in mind, these comments are a little old now because I wasn't here last week. Um, so some of these might seem a little old, but we've got some good comments. So let's, let's roll with it. Headhunting Halo, the beautiful bastard, writes in and says, Happy Thanksgiving, my man. Halo Infinite player count is roughly 30 million. Loving those numbers, and I don't believe it, but I searched today, and that's what I see. Also, I bought five cases of Mountain Dew Game Fuel today, uh, 12 packs, and that's what uh, that's all that was left. So I I said, Welp, I better just buy all four cherry and one punch. Tastes like 2007, baby. I hope you ate the heck out of those sweet potatoes because I did mm-mm, beach. I love you, Headhunting Halo. I don't know. Is that really what the numbers are for Halo Infinite? Let's see. This is from Game Rant from four days ago. It says, Halo Infinite has gained over 30 million players since its launch in December 21. According to former uh, blah, 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 343 people, Halo Infinite reached over 30 million players since its launch on December 28th. Yeah, but that's 30 million total players. Like, what's its concurrence? What's its the current active user base? I mean, that is that is a great... that That is great. Um, I actually don't think I know a single person in real life who's played Halo Infinite other than just, you know, Cronky. But, you know, that's like... Yeah, so right now on Steam charts, it says that 7,377 people are playing right now. Yeah, so there we go. Its 24-hour peak was 8,448. So, I mean, that's not... You know, for a live service game, that's not good. But for a game that's a few years old, that's good. So, I don't know, man. I just... um. I'm happy for Halo. It's just, it's still infinite clearly wasn't the game it was meant to be, but I, I am happy that they're having, you know, some kind of resurgence and in, in success. And I hope, you know, that doesn't include Xbox players. So you can assume between the two platforms, you know, maybe at least like, uh, I don't know, 10 K people, 10 to 15,000 people are playing Halo. Hopefully. I don't know. Mike Clark writes in next and says, oh, and also, happy happy, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Head on to Halo. Hope you had a great holiday, you sexy man. Enjoy your Mountain Dew. Mike Clark writes in with our next comment and says, looking forward to your Thanksgiving special. Again, some of these are old. Good time to check out uh, Bob Evans. Uh, I, I wish. We actually ended up going. Uh, it's funny, funny story. We won't get into it too much, but we have some friends who are uh, getting married this weekend. Which reminds me, again, another weekend I won't be able to play my Xbox because I had to go to a wedding. But we have some friends who are getting married this weekend, and they've been just so fucking, like, pulled in every which direction by their friends and family or, or by their family lately because of the wedding that they they literally told their families, like, hey, we're not doing Thanksgiving with you guys this year. Like, we, we need a freaking break for a little bit. Um, so they, uh, they came over to our place, and it was, like, 24 hours after we had moved, and we're just boxes everywhere. And so they came over to our place. And we all went to a uh, Cracker Barrel, which is the only place open on uh, around here on Thanksgiving. Well, that's not true at all. Actually, I live in Orlando. I live near Orlando, so there's plenty of places open on Thanksgiving. But it's like the only place around my area, I guess, that was like open. And they were doing a Thanksgiving meal, and oh my god, we could have done a whole what I've been eating special on that. It was a, it was a, it, it was a fun experience. I had a good time. I'm glad we did it. But oh my god. Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving, shocker! It's not good. <laughs> but um, oh man, God, goddamn. Also, what whitest experience I've had since I moved to Florida. By the way, just absolute fucking walked in. I was like, what the fuck? Where where am I? I live in like a. I would say like the area I live in is like it's definitely predominantly Hispanic, and I, I I'm definitely you know obviously I'd say the second most common 
racial makeup in my area is 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 like white people but like usually when i'm around town here and i go out it's like it's overwhelmingly hispanic where i live but you go to cracker barrel on thanksgiving day you wouldn't know that there is such a thing as a as, as a black hispanic or asian person in this world it is so fucking white you better bring five pairs of sunglasses to shade your fucking eyes from the sun i mean it is it's it's burning it's piercing it's like going to the fucking tundra and staring at the snow in in broad daylight it will it will burn your retinas it was it was funny just just how insanely white it was at the cracker barrel but uh yeah Shout out. That was a, that was a fun time. I had a good time. I don't, I don't regret going to Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving. Again, I didn't have a refrigerator, so I couldn't have, I couldn't have turkey to turkey to cook or microwave to a mac and cheese or any of the things you, you have to do. So what are we even fucking talking about? Anyway, let's go back to the comment. Uh, Mike Clark says the game awards are perceived <laughs> the game awards and perceived Xbox tax. Uh, yeah, we just talked about that. So hopefully uh, I probably should put this comment early in the show. Starfield is just not that great. It's a good game, n- not loved by critics or users, and that's okay. Hi-Fi Rush is the best game released on Xbox this year, but game of the year? Redfall? Yeah. And Forza um, is the weakest Forza ever released, full stop. I-, I do hear people saying stuff like that. I guess I'm not Forza literate enough to know why that is, but I, I thought the new Forza Motorsport was just another good Forza. Uh, I picked up Forza 7 to tell me and tell me which was better and more complete game. Forza is one of the more uh, aggra- Forza is the one that aggravates me the most. Seven years in development and it has less content, more bugs, and even more monetization. And that is what's wrong with Xbox Game Studios. How the fuck did Matt Booty get a promotion and get more power? Rant over. So yeah, Mario Wonder Resident Evil 4 are gorgeous and the best versions um, of their respective genre, but they should have they should not have been nominated. Hogwarts never, never played and Pikmin four damn near perfect are far more deserving. In my opinion, um, cod news, just not surprised to be honest. Let Treyarch handle cod cause Microsoft needs uh, that coin. But if Phil is that guy, he will allow sledgehammer toys for Bob infinity ward, Raven, high moon, Beanox, etc., to make their own games. Warner bros makes me sad. Arkham is a good, had a good run. Hashtag free rocks, uh, rock steady. And I hope you, eat a bunch of turkey and dressing to flush that Taco Bell out of your system. Ha ha. Um, this is a great comment that I absolutely should have read earlier in the show. So thank you for writing in Mike Clark. I do want to kind of break down some of what you talk about here. Um, because I think especially this fart first part, this fart part, this first part kind of touches on what we were talking about back with the Xbox tax, because I think you do kind of nicely address some of the things I'm poorly, I'm doing a poor job of, of talking to, which is, it's just that. So, Again, someone like me, I love Starfield. Probably my personal game of the year. Really good game. But that's exactly it. It's like someone like you. Like you said, like Starfield, uh, you said Starfield is just not that great. It's a good game, not loved by many critics and users, and that's okay. Exactly that. Someone like me, loved Starfield, that's okay. A lot of people felt polarized by it. I think that's the thing to take away is the polarizing nature of Starfield. There are people that loved it. There are people that hated it. There are people that just weren't feeling it. And the thing is, for something to be game of the year quality, especially in a year this jam-packed with great games, why pick a game that was truly immaculate to a select few when the other half of the spectrum was like, no way, that's not the game. Because even though I can't wrap my brain around why you would put Resident Evil 4 as a nominee for the billionth fucking time, but you wouldn't put Starfield on there, it is worth staying for those who played Resident Evil 4 an overwhelming majority really enjoyed it. 
Whereas with Starfield, even though I think Starfield's a lot more deserving, a game like Starfield was a lot more polarizing to the player base that engaged with it. So that is fair, and that is really important to note. It's just that even though people like myself who like Starfield loved it that much, it doesn't take away from the fact that it was divisive. And in a year this jam-packed, it's like, do you really want to put a divisive pick as your nominee? I get it. I get it. And also, just as a side note, a personal side note, I got to say with you to you, Totally disagree about what you're saying with Mario. I, I don't. I see. I've seen a lot of people complain about games like Mario being nominated. I think Mario absolutely deserves to be nominated. For, I, or you know, not as someone who played it, but as someone who as as an outsider looking in, Mario Wonder looks like the most special 2D Mario. In a very, I don't know, man. I'm very excited to play that game. I I really wish I could justify spending sixty dollars on a game that I don't even have time to play right now. Um, but I, I, I'm very, very strongly considering if, if, if it all works out, treating myself on Christmas morning and downloading Mario Wonder and Sonic Superstars and just pretending to be nine years old for the day and playing both of those games because both of those games look really wonderful. And I will say as a diehard Sonic the Hedgehog fan, Mario Wonder looks substantially better. It just looks like such a special game. So I, I don't know about that. The art style is revamped. The level design looks out of this world. The new mechanics introduced looks so freaking fun and, and, and incredibly creative and inventive. I don't I don't know how you look at a game like Mario Wonder and don't think that's what Mario's been needing. Like that that is the game that we've been waiting for since Super Mario World. From what I can tell, again, I haven't played it. Maybe I play it and I think, wow, this game's a letdown. It sucks. Maybe. But just from how insanely good the game looks, and also just by like the kind of reception it's it's gotten. I don't know, man. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I were to play Mario Wonder if if I walked away from it saying, "Oh yeah, that deserves to be nominated." Because uh, at least to me, it looks that good. But I'm also a big Mario fan, so what do I know? I will be getting to that game sooner rather than later, though. I'm very excited to play that game when I can, when I can find the time to do it. Finally, Dead Captain James writes in and says, "I finished Alan Wake two and oh, oh, also Mike Clark. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for writing in." Dead Captain James says, I finished Alan Wake 2, and my God, it was truly one of the best games I've ever played. For me, it was the atmosphere, the narrative, the discovery. Everyone that can handle scary stuff should definitely play it at least once in their life. I'm not a big games as an art kind of guy, because to me, games should just be fun, but goddamn, Alan Wake 2 is a work of art. Yeah, first, yeah. Uh, Let me speak to the scary thing real quick. I I keep hearing people refer, I know they kind of poise not poise position the game as a as a survival horror game and i know it has a lot of resident evil inspiration but i really didn't find alan wake 2 to be like scary it's eerie it's creepy it's got it's got like a it definitely has influence and like a kind of eeriness and tone and there are definitely jump scares and things like that but i i didn't walk away from alan wake 2 being like that was a horror game it's it's definitely it's definitely a game that makes you that that has an air of uneasiness and uncertainty and, and, and there's a level of discomfort associated, but it never felt like horror to me, although I guess maybe in the most classical sense of the definition, it it is horror. I don't know. I guess it's like I never felt like disturbed or scared when I played Alan Wake 2, but I did feel like uneasy and... A, an eerie a sense of eeriness when I played it. So it's like, maybe that's like too bogged down semantics, but it's like, I don't know. Like I, 
the only reason I care that people even mention that it's like scary or not scary or like, oh, you should play this or avoid it based on whether or not you can handle scary is because I just feel like people who don't like scary games shouldn't really consider that aspect too much when deciding whether or not to play Alan Wake 2. I think in my in, in my eyes, it is no more like a horror is no more like a horror game than like. I don't know, then something like Ghostwire Tokyo is a horror game where it's like, yeah, it's definitely a little creepy and eerie, but it's not, it's not like horror horror. I don't know. Maybe that's not, maybe that, maybe it is. And I'm just like kind of just blind, but I, I just want to put that out there. But I am in complete agreement with you though, that it, it, the game atmospherically, narratively, um, just its sense of wonder and discover it's, it's, it's story, it's environmental storytelling, it's setting, it's tone, it's lighting, it's everything. It's acting. It's the way it pieces together its narrative, the way it takes so much, so much information and makes it digestible and, and, and hooks you and invests you as a player and makes the puzzles play into the story and makes the puzzles make you think about the narrative and, and the reality of what's actually happening and makes you question what you've been told and what, and what might be the real answer and who might be behind this and what might be happening there. And if this is really real or if this is really reversible and if this is the real thing that's happening or if that's the real thing that's happening or if this is the good guy or that's the bad. All the ways the game uses the mechanics and the environment to like play with all these ideas, convey story aptly to the player. It's just like, it's incredible. I've never experienced anything like it. It This game should be such a confusing mess that you walk away from going, I don't fucking get it. But they do such a good job somehow of making sure you walk away going, Wow, I get it. That was a full and complete experience. That took me on a total ride. It surprised me. There were t- twists and turns and things I wasn't expecting, things I was expecting, and things I didn't even know could happen. And and it just so many events that were just truly just uh, unlike anything you could have expected to experience in a game. And to have this like up and down level of a, of of just craziness and immersion that this this game has to offer packed into this nice little 15 hour campaign or story. I, I think it's just one of the most, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of the greatest experiences I've had in gaming in so long. So I'm really glad you loved it. And I'm glad people generally seem to love it a lot. Um, I, I am seeing now that the dust has settled, I am seeing a lot of people start to like rag on this game more and more for its combat, which is fair. The combat isn't like anything truly to write home about, but I don't know. One of the things I absolutely love about this game is that the combat is one element of the game and not like a major component of the game. I absolutely adore that this game is a lot more storytelling. It's a lot more discoverability. It's a lot more walking around. It's a lot more exploring. It's a lot more of just everything than it is just like shooting, 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 shooting. So I I actually really appreciated that about this game. Um, But yeah, just God, Alan Wake 2 is so, so, so good. So glad you enjoyed Dead Captain James. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you. Mr. Mag writes in with a double header. He says, I swear WB is going to ruin Rocksteady by trying to go live service only for all, uh, sorry, only for all future WB games. Imagine if Sony told Insomniac to make a live service game instead of a big single player game. I feel bad for Sledgehammer as well. Seems they can't catch a break. I feel like their only success was to take Advanced Warfare, which people turned on when Call of Duty, uh, when Call of Duty's that um, preceded it continued with Futuristic Warfare. I do okay. 
first with WB, yes, I think Rocksteady is fucking crazy if they look at the success of games like Hogwarts Legacy, which also to go back to Mike Clark's Hogwarts Legacy comment, that that I, I didn't think about this until I was listening to the Sacred Symbols podcast and they pointed out, I completely forgot about this. N- notice how Hogwarts Legacy is just completely left off the table, the conversation for for game of the year, for art direction, for open world, for adventure game, all, all the categories. It's just like, Hogwarts Legacy is just nowhere to be found. That is such a deliberate, like those like cucky games media people who are like anti JK Rowling. If you play Hogwarts Legacy, you're a transphobe. This is like that absolute like mind rot, dumb fuck kind of tiny brained attitude and energy. That's like in charge of determining which games get nominated. It's like all these fucking Kotaku goons and like talking heads on YouTube who are like, I don't actually have an opinion on anything, but I'm going to say anti JK Rowling to sound like I'm on the right side of the argument kind of people being given the power to determine which games get put on this list. Listen, as someone who loathes the Harry Potter IP, who absolutely hates Harry Potter with a burning passion. I think it's just one of the most cringy fucking fantasy worlds ever created. You are absolutely out of your fucking mind. If you think Hogwarts legacy doesn't deserve to be, somewhere on this spread of nominees whether it's it doesn't have to be game of the year but at least somewhere dude this game was an absolute feat did so so well made so much fucking money pleased and excited and entertained millions and millions and millions of people throughout the year absolutely nailed everything a harry potter game should be top to bottom i mean it's not perfect by any means but it's a really really excellent harry potter game and we're just going to act like it didn't light the fucking world on fire for the first half of this year because why? Because like this weird little fucking insular little in crowd that's like, mm, I, I'm going to be progressive and I'm going to say fuck JK Rowling by boycotting this game that she had nothing to do with. It's like, shut the fuck up, bro. As someone who is not trans, let me just say, as one non-trans person to an audience of probably overwhelmingly non-trans people, no one gives a fuck. Genuinely, no one gives a fuck. Uh, you can enjoy Harry Potter. You can enjoy Hogwarts Legacy. It says nothing about you. It says nothing about trans people. Um, it says nothing about the developers. It has literally nothing to do with J.K. Rowling. You can just play the fucking game. And it just, it pisses me off because like, again, like to go back to the thing I was saying so much at the end of the year, it warmed my heart so much to see that Avalanche not only got to live to see another day when WB picked them up after Disney uh, disbanded the studio, but also to see that they were able to come back bigger and better than ever before and create a game that literally lit the lit, lit the world on fire. Actually, not literally lit the world on fire because uh, those big Canadian fires that happened earlier this year had nothing to do with Hogwarts Legacy, thank God. Um, but all stupidity aside... That game deserves to be celebrated. That hard work done by the fine people over at Avalanche deserves to be recognized and awarded and celebrated. And so if we can find the fucking time to nominate Resident Evil 4 Remake, the 75th re-release of Resident Evil 4 as Game of the Year, we can nominate it as fucking Game of the Year. But we can't acknowledge Hogwarts Legacy, which sold tens of millions of fucking units is still charting in the goddamn UK because they can't stop buying British people games then what the, what the fuck are we? Like, this This is the kind of stuff that's like, you're making the games industry look like a fucking joke because you can't even acknowledge your own, as the kids would say, your own Ws. 
Can't even acknowledge your own W's, dude. Take take the W. Hogwarts Legacy is a W. Not nominating Hogwarts Legacy, not acknowledging the existence. More importantly, it's not that it wasn't nominated for this or that. It's that you won't even acknowledge the existence. That is, as, as the kids would say, that's an L. So That's a finger and a thumb in the shape of an L of her forehead, dude. You fucking suck. Hey, now, you're not an all-star. You, Kotaku, get, get wrecked. Uh, anyway, uh, Mr. Mag, I don't know if I've even addressed your comments. I've just been talking about nonsense. Um, yes, hopefully WB does not go further down this rabbit hole because hopefully they see Hogwarts Legacy and they go, hmm, there's clearly demand for really excellent first um, single-player games like the Ark like the Arkham Trilogy, like Hogwarts Legacy. So let's not make everything a live service game. Also in a time where it seems like a lot of live service games are kind of crumbling to the ground. It seems like a really stupid decision to make. I just got to say. As for Sledgehammer Games, I do feel bad for them too. I think everything you're saying is right. And I think the right thing for them to do is to go back to the Advanced Warfare series. But that being said, I don't care. Black Ops, Black Ops, Black Ops, Black Ops. I don't care about Sledgehammer. I'm sorry. Sledgehammer, I hope you're able to go do literally anything else, but I just want Black Ops. So, listen, free Sledgehammer. Let them go do something that's not Call of Duty. Go make a new game. It'd be even better. Go go do something else. Go go make freaking, uh, what's an old Xbox IP that nobody wants them to revive that they could go revive, kind of like the initiative's doing with Perfect Dark. Why don't you go make Rise Son of Rome 2, Sledgehammer? Go do that. Go do that. All right, cool. Oh, and then our last comment comes from my mother, who's the only person who wrote in um, following my request a few weeks ago, my, my encouragement to write in about uh, how you approach snacks at the movie theater. And she says, at this point, the only way I can watch a movie in the theaters is there's a large popcorn, a large Diet Coke, and, uh, and, and which cancels out the calories. And, um, and then I smuggle in a large bag of peanut M&Ms and dump them into the popcorn. I've done it so many years, it's just a reflex. Well, now you can understand where I got it from, so... Thank you. Thank you, mom, for writing in with that. Um, also, I just want to say on the topic of of, um, of uh, movie theater food, shout out to the new movie theater thing where you can like order flat bed, flat, flat beds, flat breads and um, flat breads and, and chicken wings and all that shit. Because that, that's that's also really cool, because even though the, the, the popcorn candy soda combination is just tried and true, there's something about being able to eat like a freaking a margarita pizza while you watch, you know, while you watch uh, Oppenheimer. That's just like, it's a, it's a little special, you know? It's like, oh, God, the atomic bomb is being tested uh, for the very first time. I wish this pizza had more basil on it, you know? Like, I don't know. There's just something special about it. So thank you all so much for writing in. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. That is it for this week. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, get this one in the can, edit it, get it out to you tomorrow morning. Um, but I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend uh, or week last week if you are in the States. If you're in Canada, you're probably like, what the fuck is he talking about? We had our Thanksgiving in October. We're just a little slow over here in America. Please, please go easy on us, us, us United Statesians. Um, and then uh, to everyone else in the world who doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, um, sorry for bothering you by mentioning this holiday so many goddamn times. Um, but we will, don't worry, we'll get we'll get you guys. And I know the, the, the Germans and the... Um, in the in the Saudis and the Indians and the Mexicans, uh, you guys are all excited for Arbor Day or something like that. So we'll 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 celebrate some other holidays when the time comes. But for now, it's all about the Thanksgiving because it's the day where we celebrate one of the worst meals that we force ourselves to eat. It's not that good, but it's very it's very fitting. I, I thought about it, it's like Thanksgiving food is not the best food, but I am glad it's the food we do. It's just there's something special about eating that. Um, although I will say all the, all the fixings, all the sides, it, it makes it worth it. You know, like 
it's like, yeah, turkey, is it the best protein? Of course not. But like, if you got mac and cheese and mashed potatoes on the table, can you really complain? It's like, yeah, not really. So it's like, all right, shut up and deal with it. It's, it's all good. So Thanksgiving food, two thumbs up. Xbox, two thumbs up. Uh, you listening to this show, two thumbs up. You reviewing this show, five stars on all podcast services because you want to see this show thrive and become bigger than the Joe Rogan experience. Two thumbs way up. And until next week, be kind, be well, eat delicious food, take care of those you love, take care of yourselves. Play excellent video games and get eight hours of sleep every night if possible. And uh, until next week, power your dreams.